Hello, once again. Welcome to the Dark Art Society podcast. I'm Chet Zar, your host. That sounded pretty professional, didn't it? Well, uh, this is President's Day today. Not that that matters. President's Day is like the lamest national holiday, I think. Um, most people have no connection to it or no feeling about it one way or the other. I celebrated by painting a couple of dead presidents as sort of zombies. I did Washington and Lincoln um, so I could have a dead president's day sale. So that's what I did to celebrate. Actually, I painted them over the weekend or painted them yesterday. And I'm about to upload the time lapse on my personal Patreon, if you're not aware of that. You can see all my time lapses and all the new stuff I'm working on, as well as tutorials and stuff. That wasn't planned. I wasn't going to advertise. That just kind of came out. Um, that's, uh, anyway, patreon.com slash chetzar. But for the Dark Art Society Patreon, let me read off the new subscribers, because we have quite a few. It seems like the podcast is really catching on. Um, the Brahm episode sure seemed to help, so thank you, Brahm, for being on and exposing us to all your fans. I think he got the fastest listen count uh, of any guest on SoundCloud, I think. I haven't, you know, double-checked it, but it went up really quick. And we're at, like, what's he up to? 1,100 listens just on SoundCloud, which is amazing. Um, anyway, let me read off the new patrons on Patreon because we so appreciate it here. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last time. Stephen Russell Black, who was a guest on the podcast, I think right before Brahm, I think episode 99 maybe. Great artist. Anyway, he joined. Thank you, Stephen. That's really cool of you. Amanda Chesworth upped her pledge, which is great. So that's amazing. Thank you, Amanda, for doing that. You're the best. Tiffy DeFriend pledged. Thank you so much, Tiffy. Joey Edwards. Thank you, Joey. We appreciate it. Patricia Abbott pledged on the 13th, and we are glad to have you aboard. The more the merrier. Eric Spahn, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, thank you for joining and pledging. And uh, Tanya Pomalis, I believe that's how you pronounce it. I could be wrong, but thank you, Tanya. Tanya's also an excellent artist, has been doing some really great stuff on Facebook, I've been saying. Anyway, thank you guys for <clears throat> supporting. It really means a lot. Um, this is the, the most people we've had so far on the Patreon. And this is going towards our goal of a thousand a month to try and get this website going, which is going to be really big. And to be honest, I already started the website. I mentioned it at the end of the podcast interview today. 
as if I'd never mentioned it before, but I thought I should mention it at the beginning of the episode. So that's what that's all about. But if you go to darkartsociety.com, I did put a temporary page up because I was testing out this site website building software that comes with my hosting company, my web hosting company. And I was just fiddling around trying to see if uh, I need to change companies or find another way to build a new website because my personal website, chetzar.com, is way out of date, like five years out of date, I think, at this point, which is kind of embarrassing. But so anyway, I was messing around and it's kind of a fun little drag and drop um, web building program. And I just threw together a quick darkartsociety.com website just as a placeholder. So if you go to darkartsociety.com, you can see it. And uh, basically, it just has a listen button. So you can go to the hyper URL link that Brian Kilgore made for us so that we can um, show all the different platforms it's listed on. And there's a contact page, an email that goes to me, and a link to the Patreon. So it's very simple at this point, but it's just a placeholder because I have had the domain name registered for a long time now. And I thought, hey, should put something up. So that's in the works. We also have an Instagram page, thanks to Brian Kilgore, who's our amazing sound engineer who makes the podcast sound so good and mixed the uh, theme song for me. And I think he even added a guitar on top of there. And um, he's great. He's awesome. Thank you, Brian, for everything you do. Anyway, he started up a Dark Art Society Instagram page, which is great because I think when Mike and I were talking about starting an Instagram or looking into it, someone else had taken the the name Dark Art Society. I believe that was the case. And they must have deleted their account because Dark Art Society was available. So we jumped on it. And Brian, which I had no idea, has a, uh, a marketing degree, I think. I think that's what he was saying. And so he's been filling the Instagram page with really great content and he's doing it like so well that I'm looking at it and thinking, man, I really need to get my shit together on my own Instagram page because he does it right. He's doing it really proper and it's growing fast. What are we up to at this point? I think we've got, hold on a second, we have... 699 followers already. It's pretty amazing. Um, and like I said, the content is really good. I mean, he's getting, he's already getting, you know, as many likes on these posts as I do on, on some of mine. And I've got, you know, over a hundred thousand followers. So he's definitely doing something right that I need to be doing on mine. Posting more would be a big one. Anyway, check it out. Um, give us a follow at uh, Instagram. What is it? Dark Art Society on Instagram. And uh, yeah, so things are happening. We're pushing it along. I have a shirt sample 
that I'm waiting to get back from a printer to see about getting um, Dark Art Society shirts made. Uh, for all you people who have joined on that pledge level who are owed a shirt, they are coming. And I don't know. Everything seems to be going really well with the podcast, so that's what I'm talking about today. It's exciting. It seems like every time I go to an event, more and more people are talking about the podcast and more and more people are listening. And I seems like a lot of tattoo artists are listening, which is really cool. So it's exciting. It's exciting. It's turning into what I was hoping it would turn into and giving us dark artists a voice in this phony world we live in. Anyway, um, I guess that's it. Today's interview is with an artist that I'm a huge fan of. His name is Jonathan Wayshack. And if you haven't seen his work, you must now go see it. Go to his Instagram page, W-A-Y-S-H-A-K. That's his name on Instagram. His stuff is really amazing. Um, pen and ink work mostly, but he works in different mediums. But he's uh, very, very, very good. Really, I think he's one of the the uh, you know one of the best dark artists uh, around right now. I just it's just so expressive, and he just knows what he's doing. He's great. So I'm excited to have him on the show. I've been wanting to have him on for a long time. And the interview was great. It went over or went about two hours, which is great. It's one of those podcasts that just you forget you're doing recording a podcast and you're just talking. And anyway, enough of my babbling. Let's get on with it, shall we? So here we go with the Dark Art Society podcast episode number 101, Jonathan Wayshack. <laughs> What's up? Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? It's been a long time. Yeah, I know. I I can't remember last. Year. I know you don't go to San Diego, right? No. Comic-Con. Yeah, I can't. I can't handle. I'm too old. Yeah, so I probably haven't seen you for a real long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did we meet through Dave Korea? Maybe. Probably. I remember you came up. This is like it was so long ago. We were still doing the small press tables. I remember you came by once. Oh right, right. Um, and uh, you're very complimentary, which I appreciate, oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, so that was <laughs> awesome. Those was the early days when con con was still hectic, but it yeah. got worse somehow. Yeah. Like you're, you're like, it can't get any worse than this. And it did. So, you know, <laughs> know. It's, it's, you know, there's moments where I'm like, I got to get out of here. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. It, just got, it got too crowded, man. Um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of your work. I mean, I think if, if the world was was right you'd be a millionaire if the world was <laughs> not evil and fucked up but man your work is so good i just you know I, I i'm just blown away i think you're um kind of underrated for how talented you are how good you are i i just i i every time i look at a piece of yours i'm like i can't fucking believe it i can't believe it it's so good i'm, I'm like I, i'm huge pan and ink 
fan. I love doing pen and ink, which I don't do that much anymore, but um, I just love your work, man. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I love the black and white artwork, but especially in comics, like it's just a no go, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, but you can um, do all kinds of stuff. You do a lot of different, um, you do color and paint and stuff as well. I mean, you're, I was looking through some of your stuff and you don't even only just do that crazy style you're known for. You, I mean, I, I saw some sketches of just studies of people standing there and stuff or a woman kind of squatting down. Oh, yeah, yeah. So good. So good. I mean, it's like top level shit it i work on a variety of really strange projects or or mainstream projects that people don't even know about so mm-hmm. i do i have a variety of drawing styles but yeah, yeah. i try to i try to do mostly the pen and ink stuff you know mm-hmm. um i'm trying to do more comics and stuff like that so that's kind of my passion but really yeah but it's it's hard to find comics take the most time out of anything so it's hard to find time to do them you know right yeah and they don't do they, they don't pay great either right for what's what i've heard <laughs> not not in the united states apparently i had a long discussion with a comic artist that was argentinian actually yesterday that worked in japan for a real long time and i've always heard stories about like you get paid well in japan if the comic's successful hmm. but i always thought it was kind of uh exaggerated you know what i mean mm-hmm. but apparently it's true if, if you do well out there you really do make a lot of money you really? know way more than you'd make out here wow. you know so because it's because everything, like whether it's One Piece or Dragon Balls and stuff like that, those are all actual, when they come out, they're original IPs, you know what right. I mean? And the creator actually owns them, you know? Right. So it's not like, you know, you're doing a continuation of like Spider-Man or a continuation of Batman, you know what I mean? It's all like, even though Dragon Ball is the household name, at one point it was like this IP that nobody knew about. And right, right. It, he gets the blind share of the money, which is not how it works in the United States. You right, know? yeah. That probably would like go e- to the publisher or something here. Yeah, like even an image, it's like, you know, if you do something like image and stuff like that, you're drawing books for free. Really? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe you'll make some money on the back end, maybe. And that's like super questionable, you know what I mean? So yeah. that's, that's, that's just why I never got into it, I guess. It just seemed like... Uh, a lot of work for not a lot of money, but I've always wanted to, to do a comic though, or work on, do some kind of comic format, you know, since my yeah. days of heavy metal magazine <laughs> in the seventies and eighties, you know, dude, those things are so fantastic. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's crazy <laughs> because like they are so wildly experimental mm-hmm. more so than anything out today. Because right now, like you hear a lot of like, oh yeah, independent comics, people creating their own comics and it's becoming like a big thing, which which it is. You have all these comics that are being optioned for movies that are not Spider-Man, Batman, but they're not, they, they're not as berserk as the older stuff, especially stuff like that heavy metal stuff oh, yeah. and their garage. And there's so much of it I look at where I'm like, I'm like, would that be published today? Hmm. And a lot of times exactly. I ask myself, <laughs> and I'm like, no, you know what I mean? Like would, would some, and, and it's, it's it's just weird. I think it's just I don't know if it's changing sensibilities or what. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So that's part of it, I think. And heavy metal was like a French magazine, I think, originally, and they're a lot more laid back as far as sexuality goes and stuff. So I think the probably the European heavy metal magazine was even crazier. Yeah, I'm sure. And then like even like the eighties you had like the epic line and then you had like like, you know, weird Ted McKeever stories and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you don't really see that. Yeah, so much yeah, anymore. Yeah, it was, you know? a, it was a it was a real. I mean, the period I was into it, which is probably late seventies, early eighties, 
it was really um very like it, the styles were so different of the, they would like give an artist it seems it seemed like they would give an artist a you know a shot to do their thing and, and they would and it's each one is completely completely different from the next artist. It's not like they're following really a format, although there was elements that kind of related. It was like science fictiony, fantasy a little bit, but there was it was like all over the map stylistically and everything. You know, yeah, I love that's, that about it. Yeah, that's why I love and and, and they celebrated the short story format, mm-hmm. which I've always loved, but is not like trying to do an anthology today is like really tough, you know, but. I love the, that short story format where they're just kind of able to experiment, like some of the early Nikki Bial stuff and mm-hmm. Airtight Garage is one of my favorite things, you know. Um, I love it just because it changed so much. Like I always get the feeling that he drew like a few pages at a time mm-hmm. and like maybe they're installed installments and then the next set of pages were kind of different, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but but then they weren't the same, but they all related. It was just like such a wild, like creative experiment. Like yeah. it's just one of my things ever you know yeah you could tell uh, you could tell they weren't being directed by someone it seemed to me like it felt like the artists were doing what they thought was cool and that's why it was so great yeah you know for sure. so many artists amazing artists like you know mobius and uh, uh what's that guy what's that dude that did uh druna yeah droulette I, I don't even know how to say his name either yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. amazing amazing it's just it's like and it was un, kind of underground as well yeah. at the time amazing it's it's one of those things you know that i think you could probably pick up old issues now and they'd still you know totally not uh outdated or anything because they were so oh, yeah. unusual you know and they'd be better than a lot of stuff that's out now yeah, I mean, really, I mean, it's especially like the EC stuff. When you go back to that, oh, it's yeah. it's 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 crazy how they would tell a full story in eight pages. Right. What takes like what, what what's like now? It's like a comic art that's like six to ten issues. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's there's there's an economy of stuff like that that I kind of miss mm-hmm. that isn't so present anymore because everything's like a over extending arc and everything. Yeah, yeah, you know, true. it's true. It's well, kind of like Alfred Hitchcock, like his movies were always like 90 minutes. These right. amazing, like <laughs> artful movies, 90 minutes, yeah. 90 minutes. Everything now is like three hours. Right. So, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm sure there'll be a backlash against that. You know, it always kind of goes, pendulum swings back and forth. Yeah, of what's, course. Yeah. What's your, uh, okay, so what do you, uh, let's start off with first, you know, your big influences as an artist, because like okay. I said, your style is, you do a lot of different styles. So I'm curious who were the, the first artist that really kind of inspired you to become an artist? Well, earlier, like really, well, to, to actually be an artist, I was always inspired by drawings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, as a kid, it was like Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, the one, the thing that actually made me want to become an artist is on my birthday, I got a Todd McFarlane comic, like a Spider-Man comic, oh, Okay, you know, 318. And, I, I remember like what, what kind of blew my mind about it. I'm like, this is what art can be because it was like growing up as a kid in the eighties. It's like, all you saw was the Romita Spider-Man, you mm-hmm. know, and the Garcia Lopez, uh, DC characters. And like, so, which were, you know, you were given like a specific style and that's all you saw in terms of the marketing stuff, you know, as a child. Right. So the McFarland stuff, I was like, I didn't know comics could be like this. Right. So I got like kind of more into it. And, um, found people like Sam Keith where Sam Keith really kind of blew my mind and like John Kay 
you know, that does the Ren and Stimpy. Like I saw all those wild, mm-hmm. like opportunities to do this wild stuff that was kind of breaking out of the box. And that's what initially got me into things, you know? And then, you know, I found out about Mobius and the old turn of the century pen and ink guys like Joseph Clement Cole, mm-hmm. like really early on, like my small town library, there's somebody donated a ton of like really weird art books. So I was exposed to all that stuff when I was like 10 years old. Oh, like cool. <laughs> I would see Mobius, I would see crumb comics when I was like 10 and I'm like, what just, I remember fuck? just, yeah, I, would, I remember just being like completely shocked by crumb comics, you know, <laughs> just too, like, <laughs> just like, I'm like, what is this? Like, because, you know, you're going from like, you know, even Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man had like some sexual stuff, but not really, right. you know, you're going from that and all of a sudden it's crumb. It's like some weird goofy guy, like <laughs> squeezing some girl's nipple. And I'm like, what is going on? You know? So, I, man, I remember, I got to tell you a crumb story yeah. from when I was, this is like, in the 70s, though, because I'm like probably 10 years older than you, maybe. So I remember somehow this kid had a comic and it was a crumb comic. This is going to be really uh, crude, but I have to describe it. And there was this we were looking through it. And I remember <laughs> there was like there was a thing. It was called this kid's like, hey, check this out. It's called Beefy and Chewy. <laughs> I was like, whoa, it said beefy and chewy. And it was like a close up of like a dick going into a vagina. And the dick was like, like. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, it, it was kind of like s- s- smashed, like it was going boom, and it was like kind of, <laughs> kind of like going like, oh, yeah, that, yeah. like a spring that was smashed together, and like yeah. all this, you know, liquid is shooting out, and it's like I, I was so young that I didn't even really know what it was, but I was like, oh, I like completely like gave me this yeah. scared feeling. <laughs> Ooh, this is bad. I'm looking at something bad. Yeah, exactly. It's like that scare film, but you keep looking. Yeah, right. Because you're just like you just kind of yeah. keep looking. It's like it's curious. You know, I'm like the nerdy kid, like in the library in the corner, just like looking at this weird magazine. Yeah, I was like, I probably knows. shouldn't be looking at this. Nobody, <laughs> I'm like, nobody can see me looking at this. Like they had like the early Dan Clow's like, eight balls too, uh-huh. where those were like really kind of like obscene too. You know, uh-huh. so. <laughs> And then, like the like the Mobius stuff and the and the French stuff was really just perplexing because it wasn't. It wasn't like cartoons. It wasn't satire. It was like this weird, like just realistic sex scenes, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I can't, I can't um, overstate how influential uh, heavy metal and Mobius in particular was on me. I mean, his stuff is so, I mean, you look at his stuff and I, I, Guillermo del Toro, when I was working on, um, what's that movie? Uh, The one with the little monsters, the remake. God, what was it called? Oh, God, I'm totally blank. Yeah, it was a remake of a 70s movie. Uh, Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I designed the little monsters on there. But I was at his place and he, in his, I think it was in his bathroom, he had an original Mobius. And um, it was just unbelievable. I mean, the technical skill that guy had was off the hook. I mean, fuck any contemporary contemporary artist i mean this guy was like like renaissance level skill you know I yeah thought, no, no for real like um those old guys just like they they draw circles around anybody oh, today yeah, yeah you yeah. know what i mean like um a lot of like even like those old illustrator guys like bob peak and like mm. bernie fuchs and stuff those guys you know oh, of course yeah. dean cornwell yeah i mean i mean because then you could go like oh they're tracing but 
but, <laughs> those but, but were... it's like those guys were tracing because they had so much work they were right. just cashing checks like they could draw circles around every anybody at any time you right, know what i mean right yeah that's that's what i like about your work so much is you can tell even on your crazy like the craziest outrageous because you do some crazy shit like just <laughs> so distorted i love it i love it um even on your really crazy distorted insane stuff you can tell that you've you 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 know what you're doing and you know how to draw and and you know some people manage to kind of like get an art career but they're not all you can tell they don't totally know what they're doing you know what i mean <laughs> you don't you don't have to be nice about it <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying um, yeah but um you you got you got skills for sure you know it's it's great thanks it's, it's, it's great. i i hope so <laughs> yes yes you know, I mean, I mean, those are the guys I respect. I mean, it, I think people look at my art and I think they have misconception of what I'm interested in and what <laughs> I'm into. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, I can see that. <laughs> like a lot of the, well. a, a lot of the exaggeration <laughs> is like, it's, it's like a, a weird combination of Francis Bacon, mm-hmm. uh, Egon Schiele, of course, and Jack Davis. Right, you know what I mean? Right, and right, yeah. The Jack Davis thing always throws people off, but like when they start really looking at him, like, yeah, yeah. Like the hands, I'd like, those are all Jack Davis hands and like, you know, yeah, stuff yeah, like I that. See it. You know, Jack so. Davis is an, another one is amazing. A lot of the, uh, I've mentioned before in the podcast too, that Mad Magazine was a really big influence on me as well. And, uh, Jack Davis did some amazing, amazing stuff back then. All those dude, Mark Drucker and, yeah. uh, Al Jaffe and all those guys were so good. Yeah. It is, and they were fast. Too. I know. Yeah. And you had, it's like, that's the thing is you had, cause they didn't have the, um, digital technology, um, even regarding printing and how things are made, everything had to be cranked out. So you had to know what you were doing. Yeah. You know, you couldn't, yeah. couldn't fake it back then. My, my favorite story about Jack Davis was that he used to, um, cause I guess he used to play golf or something or whatever. He was always up against deadlines for, or I don't know always, but at least this one time he was up against deadlines and he used to like have the FedEx guys or delivery guys like hang out in his living room while he's trying to finish yeah. stuff, you know, <laughs> I've, heard like, that. I've heard that from like other that. artists too. Yeah. From that era. You know? I know, I know Harlan Ellison did that once too. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I think it was his documentary. I think maybe Neil Gaiman told the story, but I guess he went over to his house and then he tells Neil, he's like, distract, distract the uh, editor while I go finish the story in the other room. Something like that. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's when you know you're, you're the shit. So when you, when you got your FedEx guy waiting while you finish it, it's just like Frazetta, you know, you're a Frazetta fan, I imagine. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah I, the, the story of him, uh, not having any, any canvas or whatever to, to paint on and he had to oh. deliver something next day. So he pulls up a piece of wood from his floor or something like that and paints it overnight. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I, I, I love that. I remember that story. I love that story. But you see some of those paintings and like, they have like that Masonite look. I'm like, is that the painting? Is right, that the painting? Right. No? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, about this. Uh, I, that's what one, one of the things I love and kind of steal with my own art is I try to sometimes is the underpainting showing through, like you can see the, the, the masonite and the and the burnt umber underpainting and then you can tell where it's kind of like opaquely painted there's just spots where you can see down to the canvas or panel yeah. or whatever it's so cool yeah like death dealers oh, yeah yeah the, bo- the bottom that that hoof <clears throat> down yeah. at the bottom it's just like sketched in and it's like yeah you gotta be a ba- it, badass to pull that off <laughs> yeah it's just like if, if you really look at death dealer you're just like man that is such a 
high skilled oh, piece. Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just off the charts, you know? Yeah. It, it, but it looks like, oh, you just sketched it in. Like you could c- approach it with that frame of mind. But if you approach it like what he actually did, you're like, that is really hard. Right. Oh, high yeah. Stuff, oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah. He was, yeah. He was a, a, a child prodigy and everything. Dude was a, a genius. Oh, yeah. Rosetta was a, a genius. And it's, just, it's crazy that he's still, I mean, he's getting his due now because finally, think, you know, because I think people like us are, getting older and that's you know we're, we're becoming who says what's good or not you know what i mean not that me and you necessarily but people our age are starting to grow up and they have a say in what's considered good art so yeah you know but j- just to compare him to any contemporary artist that's in like a blue chip gallery is like a joke to me yeah i mean it's 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 strange because like it's way late too. Because it's not I know, like I know. It's not like we're like that generation that grew up on Frazetta. We're like maybe well, I, I'm probably like two generations removed from right. Frazetta, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, at least. So it's like really way late. Right. I remember when I was in school, like I know like the Society of Illustrators, I'm hoping now they change their mind, but Society of Illustrators and like at a history of illustration, they all would still shit on Frazetta. They still Crazy. would, you know, they're just, and it's just like, you know, I get it. You don't like barbarians and stuff right, like that, right? right? But it's like, you know, they, they want to celebrate John Whitcomb, who was an amazing illustrator, but it's just like, what kind of influence did Whitcomb have? Like right. he was, he did like Coca-Cola ads and stuff like that. Frazetta at this point has influenced generations and generations to the point where they don't even know they're being influenced by right. Frazetta at this point. You know, Absolutely. it's like me. Right. It's like yeah. everybody's off of Sid Mead and John Berkey and stuff like that. And like we're at the point nobody knows it. You right. know? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's it's but that's the way it goes. You know, it's like the yeah. the good stuff in in the long run, you know, people are gonna people are, you know, the general public or the art appreciating public is going to know that you know Damien Hirst is a joke and Frank Rosetta is a genius there's you know comparing think about it compare Frazetta to Damien Hirst it's like okay I get the conceptual thing you know a shark a shark in uh, formaldehyde is interesting I get it but you cannot even compare the two as, as artists you can't even compare them there's no they're in different universes <laughs> it's, yeah right I mean yeah I mean I, I get <laughs> The Damien Hirst thing, like that gets into like, and and I could be making a really misinformed opinion, but like it, it, that gets into that, that area of artists where they're just grant writers to me. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. because that world is just like a lot of grant writing and, and then like, and who, you know, and then putting, you know, you, then you put stuff out in the gallery and there's a certain level of foo-foo, like high end art people that go for it, which supposedly dictate. Yeah. What, what is, what is, you know what I mean? Uh, if, yeah. If it, yeah. It's a, it's, I mean, it's, it's a joke. It's really, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a money laundering scam for rich, super rich people. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I just really. found out. I just found out about that. I never realized that. And somebody who wasn't an artist was telling me about it. So a friend of mine who's way into like finance stuff. And he was telling me, he's like, he's like, a lot of it has to do with, it's the easy way to get money across the borders. I was right. like, really? You know, I never realized that, you know, that's kind of crazy, but it makes sense too. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it kind of is appropriate for how vapid that whole art scene yeah is. i mean i just can't imagine you know how it is when you see a painting or a drawing or whatever something that is great you just you get this feeling like oh my god this is amazing that you get a feeling from it i can't or when you even like when you want to create something yourself like oh this will be so cool this drawing will be, and you get all fired up and you're excited about it and then can you i can't imagine getting excited about 
you know, painting a bunch of spots on a canvas and being all like, <laughs> oh, this is so cool. This is going to look so great with these red and blue spots on white. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't, I don't, it, maybe it's a different mindset that I'm not, you know, you know, keyed into, but I can't imagine. It just seems like such a scam to me. I don't know. It's that it's that weird line where it's just like, and uh, I hate to say it in a strange way, we're too far the other end. But then, like, you have like Rothko, who like, you know, um, you know, like a HR person at Google is just like, this guy was a genius. I really love art, and right. you're just like, fuck that Rothko bullshit. But like, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like, it, it's almost like we're too far on one side, and they're too far on right. one side too. You know what That's I mean? True. It's like. I- or not, but but then like I saw an interview with Francis Bacon where he was like, like what do you think of Rothko? And he's he's like he he's just saying he didn't enjoy the gray series of paintings that Rothko did. That mm-hmm. just because he's just like oh, I I don't want to stand in a room and be depressed and you know like that kind of. <laughs> That's pretty funny coming from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love I love Francis Bacon. Oh, me one too. Of my biggest influences. Yeah, um, he was one of the uh, one of the earliest artists that I was exposed to that I, that just like when I was little, cause yeah. um, I used to walk home from school. I was a latchkey kid. And, and um, my mom, I haven't, I haven't heard that term in forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Showing my, show my age, <laughs> but I, I uh, my mom was working. So I'd go to my aunt's house and she had all these cool art books, like a Dolly book and an Escher book and uh, books with um, Francis Bacon. And, and so I got, you know, probably nine, eight or nine years old. I was looking at that stuff and, and Francis Bacon, tripped me out i loved it instantly it's so disturbing and he's you know kind of one of the original dark art guys really but he yeah made it into the fine art world yeah for sure but like um there's a there's a documentary i think a couple years old out i think it's called painting with violence you should check that out it's interesting it debunks one of the famous bacon stories (laughs) like which um, one Okay, I hope I'm saying it right. You know the one where it's like the triptych of paintings about his boyfriend that that killed himself yeah. like before the opening of the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's so it, the wait, story. What's it called painting. Sorry, I, I forget what the painting's called. No, no. Right? What's the the show called? The the movie called? I, don't I think it's that. called. I think it's called uh, painting with violence or something like okay, that. Cool. Yeah, Thank and you. it's like people. It's like people he knows. I don't. I, I don't think it's a lot of like people who are just talking about Francis Bacon's the greatest thing in right. the world. You know what I mean, um, but what was interesting about it. So I, I kind of hate the story because if I have the story wrong, I'll look like an <laughs> asshole. But anyway, so the story I heard on that was that it was like his boyfriend killed himself before the opening and uh, Francis went to the show and he carried on with the show. And right, then, you know, right. he didn't break down until after the show, like blah, right, blah, blah. Right. So I think what, if I remember correctly, what this documentary said was that Francis was having problems with the boyfriend. He didn't stay within in the room they came back the next day they found the guy dead and it was like two days before the show uh, and they want they wanted to cover they, they didn't want like this bad press to ruin the show so they actually covered it up and didn't report it until after the show oh wow and that <laughs> okay. other story that other story they kind of made up like to right, just like right yeah and, and, <laughs> and apparently bacon was a part of the whole thing Wow. Like I said, don't quote me on that. I might okay. be saying it wrong. It's a while since I saw this documentary. Okay. So I'm going to watch the documentary because I'm a huge documentary freak. So, But even if it's a lie, it's an interesting story yes, to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a, a crazy, crazy uh, alcoholic, man. Francis Bacon. He was like hardcore. 
That's what I always thought too. But I, I because I was watching a bunch of Francis Bacon stuff like a few days ago again, and like I found like that. What was I watching? I think I found like an old '80s or '90s documentary, like a VHS documentary, and uh, I think somebody was saying the alcohol, like he did drink a lot, but like it was played up. Oh, really? Maybe Supposedly, because of that mess, that that studio. That <laughs> 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 studio is legendary. That 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 is those pictures of that studio are just insane. There, there's a moment in my life when I aspired to have that studio. Oh shit! I, I <laughs> fight I, <laughs> not to have that studio every day of my life. I well, you know, it's, it's funny. You always put do posts where you're just like, "Oh, my studio is so dirty. My studio is so dirty." And like when I look at it, I was like, "Man, you're like <laughs> compared to mine." But, <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> I'm which, not alone. Which I always want to support, like uh, artists that have a mess, because so many people I know at this point are neat freaks. I know, and I know. Drives me insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people painting with gloves and everything's all yeah. nice and organized. I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how do you work that way? How's your studio look nice? Like, my studio's not even decorated, so it's like, you know, you always see like those artist shots of like their studio, and they have all these paintings, and I'm like. I mean, I mean, it looks really nice, and I'm envious of it, of course. Right, right. But at the same time, whenever I look at it, I'm like, why would you waste your time decorating your studio? <laughs> you know? I'm, the, I'm exactly the same way, man. My whole house is like that, really. It's like <laughs> it's a it's a it's a an, an art factory. It's like it's like the uh, what do they say? The the plumber is uh, plumbers. What's that? What's that saying about plumbers always have broken pipes? Like they never fix their own shit first yeah. or so, there's some better better, <laughs> better way of saying that but it's kind of like that with mine it's it's like you know i've got some paintings hanging out most of them are on the floor the whole house is just in kind of chaos i, I just i don't know I, I i'm so focused on the artwork um you, you hang up your own paintings uh just to get them off the floor once in a while but oh, really? <laughs> it's, it's mostly all my paintings are on the floor for the most part okay <laughs> no i just ask because like i'm realizing like it's abnormal that i can't deal with my artwork because like everybody kind of has their paintings hanging up and like pieces they like and everything right. and i can't deal with my artwork like on any level yeah <laughs> like everything's got to be turned towards the wall i hang nothing up like i just i finish it and then i can't look at it you know i have to post it on social media or whatever the fuck i need to post it on and then after that i was like i can't deal with it like i can't even look at the post why why don't you like to look at it you see mistakes or or i you know i can't get out of that amateur thing amateur i guess amateur thing whatever you want to call it i can't get out of that thought process where it's like i do a piece and i look at it and i'm never happy with it and i was like yeah and like i'll I'll look at i was like i can't deal with it like i'll turn stuff in on jobs and i'm just like all right i can't deal with this i'm like i'm so sorry Uh, you know i don't i don't say anything i turn it in i'm like oh i hope you like it but like i turn it in i was like damn i can't believe i turned that in you know i'm I'm at that age i should be past that but for some reason i can't get past that so i don't know why so that's that's crazy because your stuff i've never i've never i've never seen a piece of yours and I can't say that this about every artist I know. I've never seen a piece of yours where I thought that looks off or something's lacking. It's always like top notch, man. Yeah, well, when you make the piece look like a mess, you can get away with a lot of shit. <laughs> so. I love that. I love that. I mean, it's something I, I would like to bring into my own work. I mean, when I see your work, I think um, I've thought this before, like. I, I, I wish I was able to get that energy into my work because my stuff's very, I don't know, it's not super dynamic, I guess. Like I'm going for more painterly and stuff, but your stuff has so much uh, like movement and, and energy. It's like 
bah, like something's exploding in your face. Kind of. <laughs> That's how I feel when I see your stuff. I love that about it. You got the ink splatters and it's oh. just, I love it. I mean, yeah, your, your stuff's very solid. It's very, it feels like the thing is there. Like it has weight, you know what I mean? And <laughs> like um, your big guys, they look like they're just like heavy, you oh. know? And that, that's, a, that's a hard thing to pull off in painting, you know? Oh, thanks. Um, but, well, you know, I'm just amusing myself for the most part. I'm just trying to, you know. Um, are we all we're in a self-centered kind of uh, it's so <laughs> uh much practice fun, it's so you much, know it's so much fun though oh my god no i mean I, absolutely like you know i was like i don't care if people see it or not really yeah you know? it's about I mean, do, it's, just, it's about doing it right yeah i do it for myself you know like and the, the unfortunately there's an economic area yeah. where um you know, unless I want to work at McDonald's, I gotta, <laughs> you know, shut the pieces off and stuff like that. And I would right. rather not work at McDonald's. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's done purely for my own amusement, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Same, same here. I always say that, you know, I'm, I'm not hung up on holding on to pieces for the most part. Like I'm happy to sell them because it's, because it's all about the process for me. And it's almost like the painting is, if I get one good look at it when it's done and it looks right, then I just get a feeling of satisfaction, but that's enough. I don't want to keep looking at it. I don't want to have it all around all the time so I can look at it. And it's like, it's all about the painting part. It's so, it's like a, it's like a game to me, like a puzzle or a game yeah. painting, you know? And, and that's what I, that's what I get off on is the, the creation of it. Yeah. Like finally in the past few years, I'm more, open to selling original work like probably in like the fast five six years mm -hmm. there was a long time where i was i i would do it but like it was really like pulling teeth and then like oh, okay. when i was when i was real young it never happened right. you know like um, i think it's more common to, to for artists to want to hold on to their work like because it's personal yeah you know but that has a lot to do with it um i don't know i was like when i was younger i had like this weird nihilist attitude i was like everything's i'm like in a perfect world everything would be destroyed upon my death and there's no record and never existed <laughs> i was like all in that mode you know now i now i don't know i don't even know if i care anymore but right. yeah <laughs> um are you a, a ralph stedman fan of course you gotta be okay man. okay because i like another early influence on me was ralph stedman and i definitely see the influence in your work for sure you know? i mean no because I mean, I should have mentioned that earlier because I remember like when I, I saw Ralph stuff in passing as a kid, but n not enough of it. He, he wasn't like, he's not a household name now, but he what really wasn't a name at all. Like when we were younger, right. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you had to like kind of search him out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I remember coming across when I was like 18, the Alice in Wonderland book. Mm -hmm. And that really like changed my mind about things, yeah, you know? Yeah. The Alice in Wonderland book, isn't as wild as his Gonzo stuff and all that. I it was like I've seen the Alice in Wonderland book. Oh, it's like from I want to say the mid seventies, early yeah. seventies. For a time, they were really hard to get. Like oh, this was wow. another library find. Um, but there, it's it's almost like a. I don't know what his work looked like before um, the all the craziness, but like it seems like it's like it's a lot more um, pulled in mm. from the Gonzo stuff, where the Gonzo stuff's just berserk and right. beautiful. Like the Alice in Wonderland stuff's more illustrative, but it still has that Ralph Steadman like quirkiness and oddness. Oh, cool. I'm gonna have to look that uh, out. That sounds interesting. They're really great pieces. Really, really great pieces. So th that's the first work of his that I was that I came across. Right. That I 
enjoyed him and like you know there's all kind of like heinrich clay and all those turn of the century pen and ink guys charles mm-hmm. Danson, all those guys were just so goddamn good and it's like it's it's funny how pen and ink has changed to the point where i mean nobody's using pen and ink you know which is fine but like i think the change in materials has also changed the approach as well though mm-hmm. because everything is like so much like markers and stuff like that now everything's very controlled very concise like right. very just like dot 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 like like i said which is fine like that's the work looks great but when you go to the pen and ink guys, the illusion is that the idea, if you don't look at it, you remember it from as a kid or whatever, is that stuff was so tight. That stuff was so controlled. That stuff is loose as hell, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just like it only looks tight when you reduce it. And even then, it's just like there are things where it's just like slash marks and stuff like that. And right, yeah. A lot of that's just the nature of pen and ink, you know. Pen and ink, if you want to like do like little dot 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 and super controlled stuff, it gets to be a real hassle oh, <laughs> after yeah. a point, you know. <laughs> it's kind of a um, nightmare. I, I used yeah. to do stuff like that. I went through a pen and ink phase in high school where I was like totally – they were good. Like I, I I have to find them because they were probably like – they were good for, for my age. Like I really yeah. took to pen and ink really well. And um, I got the Rapidograph pens that you had to get in. I had – I somehow – somebody gave me an ultrasonic cleaner. So I take them apart and clean all the parts <laughs> and stuff. I was so into, it's like all I was doing was pen and ink for like a couple of years there. And I always love pen and ink. I just love the, I just, it's like kind of um, second to uh, graphite. I, I always loved drawing and pencil and then pen and ink was kind of a close second for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, I just love it. Like as I get older, like, like I started oil painting again. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had time to finish anything, but it's, as I get older, I like, I just get more obsessed with the pen and ink stuff, really? you know, like, yeah, just exploring it more, you mm-hmm. know, um, I still think there's more stuff I can do with it, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's just what my focus is now. That could change at any time, though, yeah, you know? yeah. but it just never gets old for me. Let's let me put it that way. I, I've been doing it for so long. You'd think it would get old for me at some point, but that magic never goes away. Right. Yeah. When yeah. I'm when I'm actually working on a piece, you know. So. Yeah, um, I feel the same way about oils. Like it's it's hard enough to keep you interested, and um, you know, there's so so much you can do with it. Um, it's I I guess it's any medium you're into, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. how far you want to push it. Well, do you, you, do you use like. What kind of pens do you use? You use just kind of like the basic. Uh, yeah, like I I switch up materials. Pens? Yeah, I switch up. Mater- I don't like switch up materials like drastically, but like depending on a piece, I'll do different stuff. Like um, the Metallica poster I did a little while ago. That was that was huge. That was twenty two by thirty. Wow! I did that. I did that with the Japanese G pen because. That way I could draw big. Because drawing big in pen and ink is hard because if the line gets too fine, you reduce it, it looks like nothing, you know? Right. So like that one, I used the G nib because it was just, it's kind of bold and I could still do my pen and ink trickery with it, you know, at a large what's scale. A G, what's a G nib? That's a ge- general Japanese manga pen, uh, okay. manga nib. It's probably, if you want to learn pen and ink, it's probably the easiest one to use. It's very stiff. I mean, it, it flexes if you really lean on it, but like it's, it's pretty stiff. It's pretty basic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll switch between that. I'll use like a lot of European pen points that are real hard to get now. Mm. Like Jalot pens are really nice. You know, they, they all have their own character, right. but the easy, the easiest ones to learn are the Japanese ones. Mm. But, 
Um, and then the Hunt Hunt 102, which is the one you see at Michael's everywhere. Okay. <laughs> that that that's the go-to. That's the one when you're frustrated and you just need something to work. That's the one you just kind of go to. So yeah, that's part of the reason that I haven't gotten back into pen and ink is because it's been so long. I don't even know where to start. Really, it's because there's so yeah. many different kinds of pens now and, and brush pens and. You know, I, it's, it's yeah. sort of like the reason I can't really get into comics anymore is because there's there's too many comics since I dropped yeah. off in the seventies. It's like, where do you even start? You yeah, know, that's that's my that's why I'm not into comics more is because it's just like, you know, it's 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 like walking into Comic Con and going, where do I start here? You know, it's like there's so much stuff out there. Yeah, that's that's why I like in general for anything, I just wait for stuff to cross my radar and like if i'm interested in it i'll get to it you know what i mean like i don't like keep up with like what's new in movies what's new in comics and stuff like that it's just like something crosses my radar like i'll watch it if i find it interesting like you know something like ex machina which is one like a movie i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. the past few years like that was something it's really really good and then annihilation came out and it wasn't good (laughs) (laughs) by the same guy um but no it was really good at, at like it's interesting. Like I've been watching like a lot of old films, like getting more into like old exploitation seventies films oh, yeah. recently. And love that. Um, Cause I haven't seen a lot of them for, for a while. And you know, you're, you're what you remember, maybe it's because you saw them as younger. Like you're just like, it's just pure exploitation, right. which they're just doing like outrageous stuff to get paid in the seventies to make money, which is true. Right. I mean, I don't think any of them will deny it, but some of the films do, as, as much as they're just made purely for money, there are some interesting aspects to some of these films, oh, you know, definitely. I mean? and, they're, yeah. and they're not, they're, they're, some of them are like pretty, they're made in a very interesting way. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and they feel real. And I'm right. not sure if that's the film stock or the sensibility at the time right. of they're filming, but they feel like they're there. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, and, absolutely. That's what I love about seventies filmmaking. Um, good or bad. It's that like, especially with the exploitation stuff, it really is creepy because it sometimes because it looks so cheap and almost like old film newsreel footage, you know, the way yeah. they're shooting stuff on that grainy 16 millimeter or whatever. And it's just like, it, it's creepy. It's like creates an atmosphere. Yeah. You know? Like there, there's stuff like, I'll, like, you know, I'll watch like some movie that I don't know, came out last year and it's got these horrific violent scenes or whatever, big, you know, every pair, you know, huge blood and like it's rated r and everybody's like it's rated r it's a hardcore film and i'll watch it and i'll feel nothing watching right. you know what i mean it's just some crazy violence thing but then like these 70s films because they feel kind of real to me mm-hmm. like it's strange like i'll watch them and there, there'll be these exploitive scenes that really kind of make me uncomfortable right Yeah. you know yeah. and it's 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 I don't, I don't know what it is there that just does it or if it's just because it feels like a home movie maybe that's why you know what yeah. I, mean? so. I think i think that's why the genre has this cult following because there is something there that you yeah. can't put your finger on that just you know like i said it evokes a feeling um what stuff are you have you been watching lately oh i've been going through oh yeah well i've been going through like the hills have eyes oh, okay yeah yeah I, I spit on your grave and yeah, I don't think I ever saw I Spit in Your Grave. I know all these movies from books, yeah. from growing up and having all the horror movie books and stuff, but a lot of them I never have seen. Last, yeah. Last House on the Left. Is that another, one too. One? Yeah, yeah. That one. I mean, it's, it's just it's just strange. It's, it's, it's interesting to me because it's like, it's before VHS. 
VHS, obviously, you mm-hmm. know, like, so it's just like, what can we do to make money and get people in the theaters? Because right. we can't, we can't compete with Star Wars or right. Logan, Logan's <laughs> Run or whatever was out there, you know, which is another movie I watched recently, which was, it's bad, but Logan's Run is just bizarre. Really? But, <laughs> I haven't seen yeah. that since the theater, I don't think. When I saw it in the theater when it came out. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At my friend's birthday party, I remember. Oh, really? <laughs> like Apparently it was a hit, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it was a huge hit. Yeah, but man, that's a bizarre film. <laughs> oh, man, I, I got to watch it now. Yeah. It's a cool concept. Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw... Uh, I just watched Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things the other day. Have you seen that one? No, I don't know that. Oh, that's great. That's you got to see it. It's uh, okay. It's but it's it's 1971, so it's a little older um, than maybe the stuff you were watching. But it's it's <laughs> it's that same thing that you're talking yeah. about. You know, it's kind of a comedy though, which is weird, but it's like a zombie movie. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, you know, it's all a big build up to the to the big zombie scene at the end. And as much as there's terrible makeups, there are some shots that are just so creepy, genuinely like if you were to isolate the single shot, it's legit the scary, artistic, cool shot in the midst of this like kind of crappy movie. Yeah. Um, you could tell that they were it's super low budget. I think they made it for 30 grand or something. It was like kind of like a student film almost. You could tell that the guy was into it. You know, it was like, a, yeah, they were into what they were doing. Um, zombie is <clears throat> like that, <clears throat> you know? Oh yeah. I love zombie. Zombie. Yeah. There's yeah. some shots. <laughs> there's some shots in that, that are amazing. Like beautiful. Yeah. And zombie, um, zombie is just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the shark and the zombie. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a classic. It's a classic. But that yeah, guy, love- that that cinematographer was like a, a a real, like they got this great cinematographer to do this the Italian cinematographer. So that's why a lot of the shots look so good. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Like, Suspiria still looks beautiful. Yeah, right. Yeah, Suspiria. Like, I haven't seen the new one just because, like, either. the the old one is just like I'm like, and everybody told me the new one's good. It's just purely like just like I'm like, I have the old one. Do I really need to see the yeah. new one? No, like, <laughs> You know, I really enjoyed that. But Elevator on the Gallows is like an old, like, I think, 60s film. Oh, I haven't seen Maybe that. Maybe late 60s French film. It was, like, kind of disturbing. That, really? that, that was worth checking out. Yeah. Okay. It's got, like, a girl. Uh, it's It's got this doctor, and he's, like, kidnapping women because his, his daughter was in a car accident. So her face is disfigured. Oh. So she's like a white kabuki mask. Is that, that's, it, it, right? it's, uh, that's got a, it's a different name then. Cause I, I know that movie I've never seen. Oh, it. Okay. Um, eyes, it's called eyes without a face. It's the other title. The English. Sure, yeah. I think it's the, yeah, maybe no, I th- maybe it came out under different, you know, some movies have like different names. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, especially foreign films. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed that one though. That yeah, was I really watch that. It's funny. I just saw that a clip of that in some some documentary about horror movies or something. I was like, oh yeah, I watch that. It looks really creepy. Yeah, yeah, it it does. It's it's amazing when you see like these older films. Like, it's a lot of just like, how'd you do that? Or right. not how'd you do that? It's just like, how'd you pull that off? Like in any reasonable time, and why does it look so good? Yeah. You know, <laughs> because it's like with all the technology now. Like people aren't pulling it off as well. Right. A lot of it's weird. Yeah. It's weird having like, it's almost like having too many choices. Yeah. Like the, the strangest one to me is Yoda because like, I'm like an empire strike back 1980. 
Yoda was like looked real. Like mm-hmm. you could reach out and touch real. It was a real entity. I'm like, how is it 30, 40 years later, you guys can't like you can't pull off a puppet Yoda anymore? Yeah, it's you know? weird, like, right? It's like every time they did it, it looked bad. And you're like, okay, yeah, put the CG one in, you know. Yeah. Like <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know if it's a lost art or or what it is, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't either. Um I think I I think part of it is when you have when you can do anything. I don't know. Uh, it seems like having fewer options, as much as I hate to say it, like having a lower budget and fewer options forces you to think more creatively, which will get you to come up with better ideas. Because I think, you, you know what I mean? Cause you can't just do anything you want. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. Like I oftentimes think when, when I look at Bob Peake's work, because I used to like really be into when I was a kid, I used to really be inspired by VHS covers. Oh yeah. So yeah. like, you know, you didn't know what these things were. You're a little kid, so you weren't renting them. But I remember I always really liked the Camelot cover that he did. Mm. <laughs> Bob Peake. Okay. And it was like an old seventies movie. I've never seen the movie. I don't think anybody's seen that movie, but he did like a cover for it. Okay. And you know, as I, when I look through Bob's Bob Peake's work, I always wonder how much of his style developed out of like I need to get this done like now. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah. because he did have those limitations. Oh, it's not yeah, like he could do amazing. like a full this, painting. Yeah, that post yeah. is classic. Yeah, it's amazing. Incredible. Like he can't do like a full painting, like his magazine stuff. Like there'd just be like a flat color, and he'd do like a char- charcoal outline of a foot. And right. He could draw so well, it would yeah. come out. But I always wonder how much of that is stylistic, like a stylistic choice, right. and how much of that is like I need to bust this out so yep. I can move. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like a lot of times with digital technology, you don't. There isn't that option, or, or there isn't the necessity to to think for something right. like that. Yeah, look for something. Like that you know because especially with all the clip art and the photo bashing and stuff like that that happens now you know what i mean it's yeah. like you can get to a finished product fairly quickly whereas like you know somebody like peak or bernie fuchs or mark english you know they're just like i need to draw this and get this in the envelope and get this out the door you know right, yeah yeah um and that's you know that's why i do what i do because i enjoyed that aspect of the process as well you know yeah yeah it's more personal and I don't know. It's it's I I'm not down on digital art. I mean, when I do, and I'm sure you're not either. Uh, you're not saying that either. But when no, I do, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely it's there's it's great. It's done amazing things. But and I know you know I've done a lot of digital stuff, and whenever I do <clears throat> creature design for for movies, I always do like photo bashing and Photoshop stuff always because it's so much faster than you know hand drawing it and um but i also don't consider those things uh as artistically fulfilling either you know it's cool and it's fun but i don't know it's uh, when it comes down to it i don't have the same feeling about what i'm working on in the end than something i kind of created from scratch physically yeah there's there's a touch and feel aspect of that that I think is missing from a lot of that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like I said, people, you know, you use whatever media you want to use. You know what I right, mean? It's exactly, just it's yeah. just not for me. And I'm sure people have criticisms for the medias I use too, which are probably just as valid. But right. um, I I don't know. I just like the touch and feel of things. And I'm also looking for something. I'm not trying to make something look real. I'm not trying to look make something in this world. Like I'm more about expressing in terms of 
I want you to see that line. I'm not trying to hide the line. You know what I mean? I'm not right, trying to like yeah, blend yeah. blend and make like this 3D form. Right. You know, it's 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 a level of calligraphy I'm trying to express, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where um it's like that line is almost like a signature. So right, it's yeah. like I don't want to hide that line. You know, that's like Francis Bacon, he would do that stroke and that stroke was there. It wasn't tampered. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that's what interests me about art. So there's nothing wrong with doing going photorealism and stuff like that. It's just not what I'm trying to express. So yeah, yeah. What what, what are you trying to express? <laughs> Your personal work is. Uh, I mean, I get that's not the the right question, really. I'm I'm just. I guess. W- I, your stuff is, you know, your personal work is so tripped out, and um, you know, it's it's definitely in my opinion, in the kind of in the dark art realm, whether you, you know, call yourself a dark artist or not, it's in that camp for sure, I think. And, um, are you just, I mean, when you're doing your personal work, are you just kind of like, I have the impression that it's like stream of consciousness stuff, but I don't know if that's the case or not. I mean, are you kind of thinking these things out or are you just kind of like vomiting the contents of your brain out on, on paper, which is what it looks like? to me yeah uh well that's generally what it is that's what i'm you know that's what i'm interested in that's why like it gets into this weird subject matter is i let it go there i don't like yeah yeah right i don't like go like oh this might be disturbing and this is this that and then like maybe i should rethink this you know um it's just it's it's what it's meant to be kind of right yeah, like when it's my when it's the myopia sketchbook project I do, where I'm just like freestyling stuff and publishing it. Mm-hmm. That's just straight up to the T. I sit down and I do something, and it's purely for my enjoyment. There's no thought to it, just blah blah. If yeah. I have to do something that's like for a gallery, there'll be a very loose sketch, so I have a starting point. Mm-hmm. But everything change generally will change from there, right. and it's, it's it's as basic as um, it's as basic as like I'll throw down a stroke, and if I throw down a stroke that might change where, how I do this. Like I'm basing it off of what the lines I'm throwing down. So it's not like there's a full pencil on the head. I need to shade under the nose and then do this. It's not like step-by-step. It's like, here, I'll draw this. This is the nose. Oh wait, that mark is leading into something else. And I'll take that in this direction. Like, so that's even like the big work, you know? So it's subconscious. I'm not like consciously thinking of messages and like what I have to do or what does relate to. Later on, I might understand that there's something to it, and it might right, might relate to something. Mm-hmm. But that's like years off. If I come across the piece, or if I'm showing the piece for right. somebody, it's like when I do the piece, it's subconscious. It's the act of doing the piece. Once the piece is done, the piece is generally out of my life. You right, know? Yeah, yeah. I, so, that's exactly the same way I approach my stuff too. It's, yeah. it's when I'm painting it, I sort of has have it. Um, because of with oils, it's it's harder. I don't know for me to to. I, I'm I'm more efficient when I have it planned out for the painting, but um, I usually when it comes to the designing the piece, which is in the sketch and the study, I'll let myself go and just trip out and let it happen and be its own thing. So it's like kind of kind of like those preliminary stages for me are the. Uh, the really creative part. And then once I have it figured out, I'll kind of go, okay, and then I'll paint basically my crazy idea. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that, that's what bites me in the ass about oil painting because my approach works well when it's really immediate, mm-hmm. like um, 
pen and ink, drawing, pencil, watercolor, when it's really immediate, just throw your thoughts down, Mm -hmm. it really works. When it gets to something like oil, as you know, if you don't do those preliminary steps, you really have a potential nightmare on yeah, your hands. Yeah, you can fuck your all. You, know? you can fuck the whole painting up and have to start over. Yeah. that's why I started doing that because I kept, you know, getting painting painting myself into a corner. Yeah, um, and I and I and it just was like maddening because I'd spent all this time and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah it's. <laughs> In oil paint, it's real hard to get yourself out of that corner because you could really just put yourself in an area where you're just like, fuck, what am I going to do? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. so it takes a little bit of prep. But I, I, like I said, I still feel like I'm getting that because I love <clears> – <throat> that's the one of the most fun parts for me is designing the thing and doing the whole stream of consciousness. And I, the same way, don't, generally don't have a an idea I'm trying to express other than just – I always figure – you know, my, my subconscious or my higher self or my, that thing in you that creates is, is going to come up with a better idea than I could intellectually, you know? So my strength is more, I think, not from intellectualizing an idea and coming up with something clever as much as allowing the create, allowing the artwork to be what it wants to be sort of, you know, and, and I get to get that out in the, the sketch in the steady phase sort of. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of takes on a life of its own, you know. Yeah. Um, I've never been that guy that's been able to have like messages, you know. It's yeah, just, I know. So it same doesn't here, Same here. I'm trying, you know. It's like you want to be as straight in my work, at least. You want to be as straight up and as honest as you as you can be. So that's why I just like throw things down on paper. But there are people who can do like the yeah, whole. I know. Like you know, I don't know whatever political message they want to do, whatever thing they want to do, and it'll work. Right. But that being said, I feel like. A lot of people do that, and it's really forced. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean? yeah, and it's like it's uh, trite, I guess is the word. It's kind of like trying too hard. I don't like stuff yeah. that's telling you exactly the meaning. Like it's so obvious what it means that it's like yeah. beating you over the head with it. It should you should have to work a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? A little more subtle subtlety. I think the older I know, the older I get the more important subtlety becomes like when I was younger, it was more about the kind of in your face yeah, beating you over the head with an idea, you know, <laughs> but the older you get, you kind of get into like uh, subtlety is actually more heavy. Yeah. It's an old guy thing. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an old guy thing, but like, <laughs> but like, no, it's like, um, no, it's like you, it, you also want like that audience participation too. Yeah, like right. one of the things like I, like, Okay, I hate admitting this. One of the reasons why sometimes my art is as vague as it is too as well is I do want the viewer to participate in the piece oh, as yeah. well. That's it's part my of the way fun. of Yeah, it's my way of making the piece interactive to the viewership exactly. so they're able to put themselves into it. You know what Absolutely. I mean? And make their own interpretation. Because I've heard wild interpretations yeah. of my yeah. Where it's just like this is this and this is this. And I've had people like it's not even in the same realm right. on the same yeah, piece. Yeah. That's that's um, the magic. I think the mad, the kind of magical aspect of art making is that you, um, <clears throat> like I, <clears throat> I always say the, the, it, the process of creating some a piece <clears throat> is not really over until it's hanging up or on the online and people are looking at it and coming up with their own interpretations and that way there's like this whole loop of, you know, it's the way. You, that, that we're communicating to a viewer and then they're communicating back to us with their feedback on it. And that's like kind of a magical, amazing thing. 
you know? Yeah. To, to get people thinking about it. And yeah, I hear, hear different interpretations all the time of my work. Yeah. And it's cool. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's cool. You know, I'm just happy people like the work or enjoy the work, right. you know? Um, um, because like, it's, there's another old guy anecdote. When I, when I started doing this weirdo shit, like when I was really young, it was kind of uncommon at the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was really kind of strange and like people didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, then you get like the whole, like, how are you going to get work like that? And right. this is, uh, you know, and I remember one friend telling me like my first comic con when I, when I really started going off on this stuff, he just goes, He's like, I don't get it, man. He's like, you're a smart guy. You can draw. He's like, no, no. He's like, you know what to do to um, get your work out there, but then you'll do stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, that's the best stuff, though, in my opinion. Yeah, I would much that, rather see see you do stuff like that than you know, it's traditional Spider Man or Batman or something. It's like, I yeah, love, you know, that's that's no, I, your yeah, thing. I, no, I had a teacher that would really. <laughs> encouraged me in that direction because I did a couple of really bizarre drawings and I didn't know what to do with them. And I showed them to her and she was really kind of like, you're onto something going this direction. Right. Whereas a few of my friends saw the pieces I was working on and their again, their reaction was like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> um, so if, if it wasn't for her, I mean, I'm sure I would have continued on some point, but like it wouldn't have went in the way it did because she was encouraging me. Like every time I would turn in a piece, like she'd put, she's like, push it, push it, push it, push it to the point where it's like the next semester I was so, so had such a bad attitude towards school. I hired my, or I had my friend do independent study for me. Mm-hmm. So he got paid. I didn't even talk to him for an entire semester and I got a great. <laughs> and at that, so I was completely on my own at that point, just like no feedback or anything. But I had that momentum from that, that teacher. Wow. And because of that, I, I would just push it, push it, push it. And it just kept going further and further. And, and like I said, it just happens. It's not like conscious. It's not like you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It kind of just happened and it just went in this direction. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's part of, you know, letting it develop, treating the artwork as, as, its own thing in a way, in a way that's, I see yeah. them like as like organic, almost living things and our job or at least the way I approach it, it sounds like the way you approach your artwork is to allow them to be themselves and you're just like facilitating them. Like your, your job is not to put yourself into it too much in a way or not put your conscious intention into it and like try and manipulate it. You're trying to, serve the artwork you yeah know what i'm saying yeah you want it to be its own thing you want it to express something right um i the, the other thing that i that i can't i cannot think in this way because we do conventions you know right i cannot make pieces for merchandise i cannot make pieces for you know i need something like this to sell for this or make like i have some t-shirts but they're pieces on their own and it's like you can just throw them on a t-shirt right, but right. like but like it's i i just can't think in that way where i'm like this can be this and this can be this if i do something like this people respond to this and we can make it a thing because that is a discussion a lot of people oh, have yeah, in yeah. Bonds and stuff like that you hear it a lot from yeah, all kinds of different sure, artists because it's a business and you know? Yeah, and I get it because the, the cons are so outrageously expensive. You mm-hmm. have to find a way to make your money back, you right. know. So there's nothing wrong with it. I just cannot get into that mode, and I don't know if that's like a level of immaturity or if it's a, or what it is. But like, I just can't 
do that, which I'm actually in a weird way. I'm thankful for it, but like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's also probably not the smartest thing to do when you're going to a convention, you know, but, I, um, I kind of learned to toe the line a bit. Like I, I did it's if, if it's something I'm also interested in, I can kind of do it. Like if I do a horror themed convention, I'll do some horror movie studies of movies that I think are cool that I'd want to paint anyway. You yeah. know, it's, it's like, I kind of will go that far. Or even uh, today I did that before the, uh, we we started talking. I did a President's Day sale, and um, so I was thinking, oh, I should paint like the classic George Washington and um, Lincoln just as dead guys. So I did like yeah. dead presidents, <laughs> and it was like, okay, is this going to be fun? Yeah, this is kind of cool. I you know, it's a good little exercise, and it's also like on theme, which I don't normally do like that. So as long as there, I can find some element of it that I enjoy or it's something maybe I would do anyway. If I was screwing around, I can kind of justify it and feel okay about it, but I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's, that's how I'm able to approach commissions though. It's the same thing like you do in the presence. Right. It's got to be like a character I'm interested in right. or something like that. So if somebody really wants a Wolverine drawing, like I can do a Wolverine drawing because I have a nostalgia for the character because right. I read those comics as a kid. Right. You know what I mean? Right. If it's like, if somebody really wants, like I want a drawing of like attack on Titan as a commission, I'm just like, I have no relation. I don't understand what that is. Yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> so that's like something I generally will turn down because it's just, you know, it's, so I have to have some kind of association. So there's something that's fun about it or something that yeah. I could put myself into when doing the piece you know what i mean exactly. so yeah yeah otherwise it's not going to be a great piece either you know that's what yeah. i always tell people doing commissions you know of course the ultimate commission is when they they say just do whatever you want or yeah. you know but, which you know I, I feel like you're going to get the better painting if you if you come at me that way it's going to be a better painting it's going to be more pure um yeah like the more direction you get the less pure it is in a way you know it's, it's even if but but if if i don't mind doing commissions that are like there's it, it's interesting to me and there's a very basic concept and that's it you yeah, know, yeah that's cool too you know that's all right yeah no no i mean i, I like to do see i i don't get a lot of like personal commissions because i think people realize i'm just too hard to control like you know <laughs> it's like when it's the personal commission i do like that whole like all right i you're not involved and then I'll do something. And then, you know, if you like it, you buy it. Like, right. you know, so it, because, you know, commit people who commission, they want to be involved in the piece as well. Right. So yeah. I understand what I'm saying. Like, it's kind of not fair when it's a personal piece, but at the same time, I'm like, it's a personal piece and I'm just going to do this. And I need to make it very clear. You understand that, you know what I mean? Because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, I get, it. I mean, I guess I'm kind of a jerk, you know, it's like that whole, like I, I always heard, sorry, Marshall Arisman would just like, like when he was doing illustration, I heard like there's certain jobs where he would just like, like the art director would hire him and he just turned something in. Like, he's just like, you don't get to see thumbnails. You don't get to do this. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's amazing. I'm like, but that's kind of a dickish move. Yeah. But that's amazing. You know? So <laughs> it would be cool to have that kind of clout, man, to be able to do yeah. that. You, yeah. You get yeah. what you get. <laughs> yeah, you know, so that's that's like the ultimate just pre-Madonna like self and self-absorbed artist thing, yeah, you right. know. <laughs> we all but we all want to do it too, yeah. you know. What I mean? so. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Um, you know, I was thinking we're we're talking about meaning in artwork and and stuff, and you know, I, I'm let me see, probably, I think for the last five or six years, I've been more having a concept behind what I do 
or or better yet starting something without any idea and then and then kind of figuring the concept out as i'm going and then sort of starting to you know form it a little bit to work within that concept you know what i'm saying like that ego death show i did it was like okay here's a loose idea about basically a psychedelic experience and um and i just started drawing and then i started looking at them and going okay what is this what could this mean while still keeping it vague and subtle enough yeah and then start thinking about it like that so it's it's almost like i feel like for me it's a it's trying to develop another skill set that i don't naturally have like and i was when i was in bands i always relate it to when i was writing music and playing music i i was really into um like dead kennedys which is super political right and like yeah yeah totally like telling you it's kind of beating you over the head with the message but usually it's satire and it's well done and funny and so i kind of had had i would try and write stuff that was kind of like that and it ended up being so corny because it was (laughs) you know because it wasn't like it was maybe because i was trying to kind of copy jello biafra's style or something but um i just was never good at 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 um that so it's all i wonder i just wonder if it's a skill set that you develop i don't know i mean it's 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 strange I, which by the way i was a massive massive dead kennedy's oh, fan yes. even though even though i'm too young for the dead kennedy's i've seen <laughs> jello i've seen jello a few times and i saw him with the no means no which is incredible oh my god really? yeah I died yeah yeah because no means no means yeah, No Means No is one of the greatest bands ever that nobody right, knows about. Exactly. Oh my god, I can't believe you're I, a No Means No fan. They're like one of my top three bands. They're amazing. They, they really are, and like, um, it's it's crazy because like they were old when they they right. they'd be like forty five, yeah. they'd be like fifty, and I'm like, dude, you guys tear it up more than like these nineteen year olds, man. Oh, like yeah, they're just yeah. crazy. But that band never got any traction for some reason. You they, know. You know what they they uh, <laughs> they. In the states, I don't think they did, but it, it's funny. In like Europe, they're huge. Like I, in Germany, so oh really? I, I went to Germany. And I was like, oh, I heard they're big in Germany, and I asked people, and people heard of them. Oh really? Yeah, okay. yeah. And they, and they, I think they're kind of like, uh, they're just like, I, they're just like an indie. Maybe they're they're probably too weird to go onto a mainstream label, but they were just like kind of that DIY punk thing to where that yeah. you know they made money definitely touring in Europe and stuff like I read interviews with um the singer bass player uh whatever uh Rob, Rob Wright yeah 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 he's saying yeah. that you know that the mortgage is paid off they're doing all right you know they just oh cool yeah yeah so it's like but it's you know grinding it out in a van you know not getting yeah you know big uh, touring van or anything like a little econo line or whatever so yeah they're a good example of one of those I, the, the one thing I, I mean I get it the one thing that I I hate how, as an artist, like your look, your personal look, what I look like, what you look oh, like, yeah, yeah. plays such a factor into like what your work is because like no means no is the best example. Like <laughs> because they have like they just look like regular dudes. Yeah. Like and then they love hockey and then beer right. drinking guys, whatever, right? But then they'll do like an album like small parts. Mm-hmm. And, and where it's just like the darkest thing you've ever seen, like way darker than like and just you're, 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 heavier than like nine inch nails or reading, not like nine inch nails, but like <laughs> it's like way heavier than any of these guys wearing like big boots and stuff like you're that. Completely but like, like saying things that I say all the time. This is exactly my perspective as well. I can't believe it. 
yeah and it's just here. it's just <laughs> i i hate that that plays a factor i want the work to just stand on right. its own you know but it's it's are very hard to like but there are people that accept that but it's just it's just something i wish people would accept more and more like yeah, it wasn't so yeah. much the that's, personal life of the person absolutely. you know absolutely i mean that's that's why i dress like a bum all the time because <laughs> uh, the guys that inspired me are like no means no and the Minutemen and you know these diy underground bands that were it was all about the music and it didn't matter how you looked and they're all weird looking anyway like i saw an interview with rob Wright, and he's and people the guy was asking why don't you do videos and he's like you, you want to who wants to look at this you know kind of like, <laughs> he's like this old guy with gray hair you know yeah, yeah. it's like uh and, but but at the same what i love about that um about no means no and bands like the Minutemen as well um is that there's hardcore art i mean it's art the music is yeah. art absolutely it's not like this throwaway shit or even just like dumb rock. It's like, it's art, you know, they're really taking it yeah. to somewhere. And it's so cool. I think it's cool to see these, you know, working class looking regular guys creating amazing art. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it, again, it goes back to our, what we were discussing with heavy metal earlier. Maybe I'm just being an old guy now, but I'm like, like, especially something like the Minutemen. It's just right. like this really radically different stuff that I don't see going on, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like people will tell me like listen to this listen to this and and a lot of it's good it's not like it's not good but right. it's like you don't have like a, a minuteman because minutemen were like completely bizarre compared to their peers yeah there was at the nobody time, else you know like I mean? them and yeah it, that's what mike watt I, I said this probably one or two episodes ago on the podcast i was talking about something about this but um uh watt says that back when when they when punk was happening for them it was it was all, it wasn't about sounding like a punk band it was like doing it was all about being unique and doing your own thing and not yeah. trying to sound like anybody else you know yeah it's 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 i wonder how much global media has to play right. in that kind of thing you know well, was there i mean you know, I, even though i'm younger than you i was still like in the 80s where it was like what was your influence like what was on UHF channels because that was like the weirder stuff was right. on the UHF channels, <laughs> and it wasn't even that weird. It's just comparatively to what you had access to, you right, know. What I mean? right, and yeah, like, yeah. you know, you would find these weird magazines and stuff like that, but you had to like search for everything. Yeah, and uh, that searching aspect of loss is kind of lost. Oh, you yeah, know, searching yeah. is like I see this thing on Google or this artist says something and he links me to this. It's very just like kind of immediate, and I and I always wonder is that. And I think I'm wrong. I always wonder if it's going to make things like become more homogenous, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, even though artists are from different areas, I think, I think that, but I don't believe that because right. I think there's, there's always a subculture. There's always differences between different locales and different neighborhoods. So that's like a concern that I think about, mm -hmm. but I don't, and, and obviously other people think about, it, but I don't think it's even important to be honest. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's an issue. I think there's always going to be, subcultures yeah. and their own thing regardless of whether they see you know whether the person in nepal sees Katy perry or whether like southern california sees Katy perry right. <laughs> it's, it's not they're not it's not gonna have the same influence even you know what right. i mean yeah 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 so. I, I agree i agree i think it's um it's there's always going to be that kind of like hunger for something real and, yeah and all the you know most for the most part the mainstream stuff to me just doesn't seem real it's just fabricated 
junk, you know, all that Katy Perry and shit. It's going to be, no one's going to remember a Katy Perry song in 10 years or 20 years. No one's going to be on a podcast going, oh my God, Katy Perry, that song was like, <laughs> un, you know, it was art, you know, the way we're talking about No Means No. It's just, you know, I don't I think don't it's, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I was, I was just having a discussion with my my old DC editor the other day about this. I was talking about how great a lot of those 90s Vertigo comics were. Mm-hmm. Like um, uh, Blood, you know, by Ken Williams. And then, you know, Ted McKeever was doing stuff. And then you had like, you know, just Dave McKean was doing like mm-hmm. some pretty wild right. stuff, cases. And I was like, it's all these amazing pieces of work. Bill Sikovich and Straight Dosters, which is one of my... I, as far as I'm concerned, that was epic, but as far as I'm concerned, one of the best comics ever made. Which I mean, one? Sam, Stray Toasters by Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh, he, he's amazing, but I don't know. I'm not familiar with the comic. It, it was some weird comic in the mid 80s. And, and uh, Sam Keith and I, we always talk about how brilliant that comic is. Like, it's it's our landmark, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of just experimental, just bizarre comics. Oh, cool. And but I was what I was discussing about, I'm like, you had all this great, like, like art stuff in the 80s. And what's interesting about it is that. It's like it never happened, you know, mm-hmm. but you're talking about who's going to remember Katy Perry. I don't know. Maybe Katy Perry's like this big mega star. Maybe she does influence some people because I'm like, there was all this amazing comics in the mid eighties, uh, late nineties. And it's like, it never existed. Like, where's the influence? You see what's coming out right. from me. It's coming out here. And it's like, I don't see it I, anywhere. You yeah, know, I, I think it's, it's a matter of time though. It's may, may not find its audience, um, when it should. But eventually that good stuff, that's the thing. It's, it's, it really is the, the, the only way to really uh, prove that something is truly great artistically is if people are talking about it, you know, 20 years later or 30 yeah. years later or 50 years later. Because the good stuff is always good. Like music, you know, look at the 60s. Yeah. You know, that music is great. There's, it's, it can go back forever. And, um, and, and look at art or music and the great stuff sticks out, you know, yeah. having that kind of distance from it. So it's, it's a bummer because you usually have to wait until you're, you know, dead or until you're old yeah, before yeah. <laughs> it's appreciated. But I don't know. <laughs> but, but how much do you think like stuff like of quality disappears? Like, because yeah, I know, a lot I know. of, t- a lot of times it depends on not, not who promotes you, but it's who gets your work out there. Right. Because my understanding in the case of Egon Shile is that he he became like more well known because after the war, this one guy had a bunch of work and opened a giant Shile hmm. gallery. Oh wow! With some of it debatedly being Nazi stolen paintings, but oh, <laughs> but, but he got around all that. So, <laughs> but but they're like that's why people know Shile because right, this guy right. effort serve his work. You know what I mean? Who if it wasn't for this guy? What would have happened? That's true. Chile, you know That's what I mean? True. So. That's true. But, but you know, it is a different world with the internet now. Everything is pretty much everywhere. So I kind of feel like as much as you have to dig through tons of shit to find good stuff, that things that are good are somewhere on the internet. Yeah. Cataloged and waiting to be discovered. Just like no means no. I, I look, you know, I, I go on YouTube and I'll see these like, you know, 20 year old kids being like, oh my God. <laughs> how do i not know about no means no and it's like nobody knows about no means no but it's yeah it's yeah. It's, it's, it's but they can recognize that it's amazing yeah you know? so it's, just being on the internet i think is going to be helpful for for things not getting completely forgotten i hope 
Maybe it depends. Yeah. It depends if the internet's still going to exist as it exists now. That's true. So, that's true. That's true. Whether it's going to be privatized, whether it's going to be sectioned off, where there's like that Facebook faction, where there's they have a closed off part, and where there's a closed off part over here run right. by Microsoft or whatever. I mean, that's a real possibility. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so then, what happens to this old? The old internet does it just go away does stuff disappear you know if somebody takes down the server everything that was there is just gone yeah what a trip you know? we're, we t- we, we're so used to taking it for granted that everything is going to be at our fingertips forever you know yeah like that's like steve albini's whole argument because the argument you know sometimes yeah, yeah. you get to the whole thing where like he's a technophobe or blah blah, blah oh, he's, steve albini is amazing he's like a total hero yeah but like th- his whole argument is like this stuff's not archivable you know right, he's right. like it's you know true. his, yeah, his attitude yeah. is always with with tape media and stuff like that. You could even find something broken or like tube amps, and you could find a way to repair it because right. there's way to repair. It. It's not just like digital signals on like some silicone. Right. You know what I mean? But like, if your master is a digital master, and you lose the digital master, or for whatever reason, the format that digital goes master, out of style, or you know, <laughs> yeah, that master's gone. You know, and I don't think that's as valid as like when he first started talking about that argument when it was like ten years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was really valid at the time. Now I don't think it's as valid. Well, just well, the, the 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 angle that I I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember him talking about that, and and I and the thing that struck me was him talking about. Um, the formats changing file formats changing and you know not even being able to access them because no computer will will open up this file anymore yeah you know and so i mean you could probably find an old computer but you think about you know trying to get information off a floppy disk right now like those big what about the real big floppy disks from like the 70s how could how would you even you might be able to, you know, take it somewhere, but yeah. But I, I think things are more standardized now, and also like there's so much backup redundancy, and also there's so many guys like on Linux and stuff like that where if you need something played, there's going to be some guy out there that's right. going to hack that's out true. something that will play it. And like I said, whereas like 10, 15 years ago, I don't know if that would have been as likely. So I think things have changed and progressed enough in that in that way that it's not as much an issue. But I still think it's an issue though because. Nothing beats that hard copy, man. You yeah, know, like yeah. sometimes, like because, like how, like let's, like I have like scans from like so long ago. How often do you actually check if those are still good right. or if they're like corrupt? You know what I mean? You really don't. Yeah, you just trust right. that they're there and they're at that hard drive. One day, if you try to break, open it up, maybe it's corrupt. You don't have that right. piece, anything with it. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's scary. It is scary. I, I just, uh, I mean, I, I, I've, I've lost files. I've got, yeah, I mean, I've got old hard drives that I have in a box that I don't even know what's on them, but I don't even know if the computer will read them anymore, you know, because like 10 years old. Yeah, no, I was, I was always very aware of it. So I had always had everything backed up and I always trans like I have a hard drive from 10 years ago that any normal person would have just backed up and erased. I'm right. just like, that thing's still good. I'm not a race. I'm just yeah, leaving yeah. it just in case. You know I just, what I mean? I, I get a new hard drive. It, yeah, I, yeah. I, I never like back up to a big <laughs> one or anything. I just take one and put it in the box and get a new one. <laughs> okay. 
I'm glad some some other maniacs doing that. That's exactly <laughs> what I do. I have all these hold hard drives. I'm like, I'm not using them for anything, but you know what? I'm not touching that stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. Even if there's if there's one file, amazing file, it would be worth it. You know? Yeah, Especially yeah. hard drives are cheap enough nowadays. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I'm like, I'm like, something could happen, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like kind of irrational. Yeah. But. <laughs> I'm the same way, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. Excuse me. But like I said, there's so much redundancy. Like. I know a while ago, Facebook was like doing a lot of like backup tests on how they were going to back up our information, you know, mm-hmm. um, because like there's such a massive amount of information. I remember something about their testing, like actually removing information from their servers and like putting it in cold storage so oh, that wow. really old info could be recalled if they ever needed to, you wow. know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I imagine, da- you know, backing up data is. <laughs> where where all the uh money is anyway you know without that it's all about stealing your data and you know using it for marketing that's kind of where all the money's going anyway from these social media companies so i imagine that backing that stuff up is top priority which means everything we put out there's backed up a million times probably yeah it's it's strange we're getting in that strange area where it's um I always forget who said this, and I and I shouldn't, but but I remember the quote where it was like some kind of science fiction author or something where they said, um, "The future is not going to be fascism." Uh, I'm paraphrasing. It's not fascism in the way uh, or totalitarianism in the way of like, you know, Hitler or whatever. It's right. like that's almost like an old, outdated mode. Right. It's going to be voluntary, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna, and and that we're kind of moving into that weird area now. Because it's like it's like things as basic as like um, you know they're taking all our data. They know all the stuff about us. Which honestly, who knows what they know? They might know like a few things. It might not even be associated with my name, but mm-hmm. who knows? You know? But the fact of the matter is, is like everybody is buying like Alexa and that Apple thing that talks or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the fact of the matter is that stuff doesn't work without your personal data. Right. Right. You know. Like some of the new features for the phones and stuff like that, all that stuff doesn't work with your personal data. And like people are adopting these things really fast. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, it's, it's just, it's just a strange area. It's like, what do you do? It's like, I want this thing, but right. it doesn't work with this, you know? So. <laughs> you know, w- what I do is I, I, it's, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm just like, fuck it. I'm going, I'm going in. That's how I approach it. Like, I'm like, I, I stopped, you know, cause I was worried for a while about all that shit. Yeah. And at some point I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be dead in 30 years probably. And it's not going to matter. <laughs> it's like, I, 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 I don't know. I just was like, I just kind of gave up and said, I'm, I'm just going to go with this thing. I'm going to go with the flow kind of in that way. And, um, I'm just taking a chance and keeping my fingers crossed because, you know, I'm going to be dead in 30, 20, who knows how many years anyway. (laughs) I mean, the reality is, is it does, it isn't going to matter. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, I mean, I still won't adopt a lot of these things, but like, 
like Alexa and stuff like that. I'm like, I got, I got, and, and, I got one. It's so cool. <laughs> every, everybody loves it. Everybody it's loves so it. It's so great. But my thing isn't even the privacy thing. I just don't like talking to things. <laughs> you know, like that, that's my whole thing. Like even like the phone, when I drive, I have the phone in my hand, like looking at the map while I'm driving. Right, like, right. I can't get used to like the phone talking to me and like doing all that stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. which is weird because I'm a really technical person, but there's certain things I'm not interested in, you know, right. <laughs> talking. but yeah, but my attitude is like this. I'm like, I didn't think the information collecting aspect of these things, it's not a digital thing. It's been happening since like for so long, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. it's kind of like, you know, they, they got everything on me anyway. So, right. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, there's, there's even a point where it's like, I run a VPN on my computer. Right. And then like, I'm like, yeah, so they can't see my traffic, blah, blah. But my, my, my Roku device on my TV doesn't, isn't on a VPN because I'm like, I'm watching TV. I don't care. Right, right? right. But then like I started noticing my YouTube recommendations on my Roku are the same as on my computer. And I'm like, Oh wow. And I'm not signed in. I never signed in. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Are they seeing through the VPN? Right, <laughs> you know, wow. oh, I'm getting into like all that paranoia. Thinking. <laughs> but it, it all goes back to like, it really doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's That's the other thing is I, I, I another thing I think of is like, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the the paranoia, I think, is tied in with ego in a way. Because it's like, who gives a shit what I'm looking at on the internet or what I'm watching on TV? It's like, I'm not important enough to where people are going to be, like, watching me. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, like, some yeah. dude. It's not like, you know, I guess if, like, you, if you were, like, a drug dealer or something, that'd be another story. But yeah. or doing something illegal, that would be a different story. But most people are just yeah. like... You know, just people that no one gives a shit about, and and that's the reality. It's like, who the fuck are you, dude? Yeah, right. <laughs> you think the government's like, spying you? on you? They don't give a it's shit. Like you about do you. some drawings, you do some paintings. Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> the, 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 the issue that I am more concerned about uh, is the freedom of speech issue uh-huh. uh, in terms of like these platforms we use because these. Because like a lot of the freedom of speech argument is talking, t- talking, uh, spoken about on a governmental level. Right. You know what I mean? Is Trump doing this or this, this and that? Blah blah. I don't even consider that an issue because the main issue is all the platforms we use. They're granting us right freedom of speech. Yeah, they actually yeah. don't owe it to us to give us right. freedom of speech yeah, because yeah, they're all absolutely. private companies. Yep. So my main concern is what if they decide to take that away someday? Like I think that's a valid issue that I don't hear being talked about much you know yeah, what i mean yeah. right right because right now they're doing a really good job of letting things fly like mm-hmm. with the whole tumblr thing when they're like we're gonna crack down on tumblr so that there's no obscene material i had like 20 25 things flagged um they let all of them they, I, I i i i had them review all of them they let them all go up you know mm-hmm. because it's under the thing it's like oh art because it's art nudity as long as it's not like you know right. graphic or no penetration they're cool with it you know what i mean mm-hmm. But you see, they're letting us do that. You know, they don't actually right. have to let us do that. So I'm wondering when, because it's not even, it's not if in my mind, it's when will they start like making that circle smaller and smaller? Because they just need to do it like in slow increments. You know what I mean? That yeah. way you won't notice it. You know, in, in a sense, you know, they already are. And uh, we were again. I was talking about this on another episode recently. Is that you know, like uh, Facebook taking down the Alex Jones stuff. Um, oh yeah, and, and YouTube taking down that stuff. It's like I, on one hand, I I kind of agree with them. If it was my company and this guy uh-huh. was inciting 
people to be, you know, violent, violent assholes or whatever, I would take them down if it's my company. But on the other hand, it's not really the company's responsibility. It's the government needs to, um, the answer is, I think, is that the government needs to make the internet, like uh, someone was, I forget who was telling me this, like a public utility. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like like at the base level, it is the, um, the town hall. For everyone to say whatever, and then it's and then it's as far as different corporations who own social media companies, then it's kind of like a different story. Yeah, you know what I mean. See, the the, the net neutrality thing that happened that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I know that's like a whole thing where they're like vilifying Trump and everything. And I'm not a Trump supporter, but I'm just saying it was going to happen at some point. Right. You know what I mean. Um, because they weren't going to allow that forever, right. you know? Um, but it, it's, it's weird because like, I, I always have the attitude of like, I want people to have as much freedom as they want to say what they say, mm-hmm. even yeah. in Alex Jones, as long as you're not going like, go murder him. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm fine with comfort, comfort uh, controversial speech and speech. I don't agree with and mm-hmm. stuff like that. The, the, the thing I mean is like years ago, the thing is human nature's in question, right? Because like the idea is like we want everything to be free and then we'll, we'll be good, we promise. Right. But then like I I remember years ago they were trying to do like these data havens, offshore data havens so that there would be like some some maniacs, some like, you know, computer guys. They're trying to make it so like this is free information. You know, we're not in any government boundaries so they can't police us. Mm-hmm. Which is great and you know, you hear that in theory you're like, yeah, freedom, we shouldn't be controlled power of the people. They turn into like black market and child pornography areas. Right, right. You know what right. I mean? So that's why it's like, I want all that. Of course I want all that. But then you always have to question human nature. I know, I know. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. There's <clears throat> it's like the dark whips not not policed and they're going crazy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? So it depends. And but I don't want government interference either. So it's like, but but maybe we will get to the point where the corporations are getting so involved that maybe the government <laughs> needs to be well, that's in. the whole like, purpose of government is to take care of things like that. Yeah. Because, you know, because business isn't going to do it on their own. They don't do anything on their own um, unless it affects their bottom line. Yeah. You know, it's it's just like, you know, any of the hard questions, gun control, this, that, it's, there's no answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> the older that, I get, the more crazy things get, the more I think... There's just no answer, and we kind of need to get try and become comfortable with the idea that some problems there's not a solution to. There are maybe better solutions, some better solutions that work better than others, but there's never going to be a perfect solution for any problem. Yeah, you know? that's why we sit in our that's why we sit in our studio and draw and paint. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to worry about this shit. Yeah, we're, we're like we're going to divorce ourselves from this, and we're going to make these self expressions <laughs> that hopefully are going think? to help some somehow. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. So just we'll by, see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> just by the very fact that we're artists, somehow it's going to help everything. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that story a lot too. I mean, it's all I can do. So it's, I don't yeah. really have much of a choice. Um, I we're going we're going really long on here. I I, I don't want to keep you, but I did want to. I wanted to ask you before uh, before we go. Um, you mentioned off the air before we were rec- recording that you do commercial, you still do some commercial work. 
Yeah, and, I do. And I'm, yeah. What kind of commercial work are you doing? I, I've seen I've seen you write. I've you know I got this commercial job and blah blah. And I can't imagine what the hell you are doing in commercial <laughs> with commercial work. Like, what kind of stuff are you doing? Well, um, well, I do. I used to do a lot of editorial work. Um, I used to do a lot of editorial work for High Society magazine, oh, really? Porno Mag, <laughs> and that was one of the best jobs I ever had. Because what kind a, of work? What's editorial work mean? I don't. I'm a, there had to be some kind of caveat or law or something. They had the entire magazine was hardcore porn, but like they had one illustration and one story in it for oh, no wow. reason. It wasn't a pornographic illustration. It was like I don't understand what it was about. <laughs> it was a legal so thing. I mean, that's what I was thinking, right? So yeah. then, like, um, because it's a porno mag, they paid me good money. They would give me an article, and they're just like, do whatever you want really? for three years. Yeah. So like, I was I mean, I had to illustrate was the article. Good, yeah. Really? That sounds like yeah. a dream job. Dude pays better than comics, but like, <laughs> um, so it was cool because like for three years I got to experiment. Like I would literally experiment because I'm like I was also like as a porno mag, nobody's gonna see it, right? You know, yeah, so there's the, not not so much pressure either, you know. Yeah, so I got to try out a bunch of techniques on it, and as long as I turned in time, they didn't care what I did. So by nature of experimentation, some of the illustrations were really bad. Some uh, came out good. Some turned out techniques that I use now. You know what I mean? But you have record of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, but it was it was Love fantastic. It. it was it was a great job. But I also did a lot of um, storyboarding and and for commercials and stuff like that. Oh, I used okay. to work on a lot of the Halo games uh, for the TV commercials. And believe it or not, Adidas, I wow. did a lot of stuff for Adidas. Like, well, uh, what do you do for Adidas? Well, I work on the preliminary like sales, like uh, or the the advertising agency will hire me. They'll pitch like 10, 15 ideas and I would do sketches that accompany the ideas and Adidas would decide if they want to make them or not. Oh, okay. So I, I worked on a lot of basketball. I would work on, I would do like some weird stuff where I like some stuff had robots. Mm. Adidas was based in Amsterdam. They thought I was a European artist. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny enough, the, the reason why I kept the Adidas job for so long, because I did that for years was that, and this is all freelance stuff. So it was great. So I would work, one month or one week uh-huh. out of the maybe two weeks max, uh-huh. and then the rest of the time was my own uh, because it's advertising. You yeah. got paid pretty well, um, but like it would be like I I got hired because um, they kept me around because I knew how to draw black people. <laughs> that was, <laughs> because it was a lot of Adidas That's your claim to fame. It was a lot of Adidas basketball. Mm-hmm. So um, the other guys they hired were just kind of just basically drawing white guys with like darker skin. Oh my God. <laughs> and you know, Adidas is like in Amsterdam, right? So like they want to be hip. They're like, they're like, we need somebody who can draw what we're trying to represent right. here. So that, that was by nature. Like I did like a David Fincher, like a, I worked on, no, I didn't work. I worked on a proposal for a David Fincher Adidas commercial. And that wow. was like really, really old. How did you get into that line of work? Do you, do you have an agent or something? I mean, how did this all come about? No, that was purely by accident. I knew a guy in San Francisco that put me into my first art show because when I was a kid, I was art shows. I didn't art shows. I never went to them. I didn't didn't mean nothing to me. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And he's like, "Why don't you do this art show?" I'm like, "Okay, cool." And that's how I got started on that route because uh-huh. this whole world that we're a part of, I never knew existed when right. I was a kid. You know? Um, I don't think so it that, did back then. It kind of didn't, right? Yeah. And <laughs> when I started, it was just you know. Yeah, when I, was, so, when I graduated high school, there was nothing. That was like in '85. So, yeah, yeah. So there's really nothing then mm-hmm. because like that was before like juxtaposed and all that stuff, right, you right. know. 
Yeah. Juxtapose was the only one. Juxtapose was the only one that brought any awareness to that right. stuff in the early days. Yeah. But anyway, so he got me into art shows and then I, I started doing snowboard graphics with him and he was a designer and eventually he went to an agency and like it was kind of like he just goes like I need somebody to draw. Can you come over can you do this thing? And I was like, Yeah, sure, I do add agency all stuff all the time, which I didn't. But <laughs> <laughs> and I had a word of mouth thing going for a real long time where people would just like I never advertised that people would just be like I know this guy. I know this guy. That's great, and man. Even now, like I still, I did an advertising gig, like storyboard a television commercial, like a couple months or a couple weeks ago, mm. or about a month. And again, that was just like a word of mouth thing. It's wow. It's good. It's good work in that you work for a very short time, make a very good amount of money, so that you're able to move on to other projects, right. as opposed to if you do like like first like a comic like you got six weeks on that comic, right, you know, yeah, yeah. not time to do anything outside of that. And probably you know? not so, a ton of money either. Yeah. So in my case, it's always more of like a time issue because I always want to be able to work on my own work. And it's very frustrating when my time's limited in that way, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, I always wondered what you did commercially because your stuff just does not seem commercial at all <laughs> well, i mean it's it's um, it's cool that you can do that you know that just shows your talent no in all honesty i'm very lucky and very fortunate that like just people accept my work you know like wh whether it's my personal work but the commercial work it's not like i tailor my work for these clients oh, really? they actually see my work as it is and they hire me for that oh really you know what I'm, wow. yeah like the, the illustration jobs like they dude, I did some weird illustration for like a some entrepreneur magazine. Wow. And like I did like that pen and ink wash style. And I'm like, are you sure that's cool? They're like, cool. Like wow. That's amazing. One of the cool one of the coolest ones is I did um the actual final illustrations for like this Nike soccer in um Europe. Uh-huh. Where it was like promoting this team, whatever this team was that was number one at the time. And I did like portraits of some of the players and like a t-shirt design. And that was like, I turned stuff in in that where there, I was just like, I just drew it my way. Or first I would call them, like, how do you want me to draw it? And like, oh, what, what those samples are? I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, yes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I did like these pen and ink line drawings and I turned them in. I'm like, all right, so what do you want? Like, I'm expecting them to send stuff back. And they're like, no, that's exactly what I want. I'm like, are you serious? Wow. I'm like, yeah. So they did that and to the point where they had to make like website banners and everything. And they had to cut up the artwork to fit it into these weird formats. Mm -hmm. And I've never got this before from any American company. They called me and they go like, we have a real problem. I'm like, what is it? They're like, we want your permission to cut up the artwork. They're like, we love the artwork, but we have to be able to cut up the artwork, but we don't want to do it without the artist's approval. Oh I was my like, God. I was like, hey man, <laughs> do whatever you need to do. But it was really nice because yeah. you never get that from any American yeah, company. Right. What a trip, man. <laughs> yeah. And I think they just have different attitudes about art. Right. Over yeah. Too, so, Absolutely. You know. But no, it's cool. I've been very fortunate to be able to do what I do and get work as I do. Like I never had to like draw like Joe Moderera to do this job. I never had to do this to do this one job. Right. Um, I did one book cover for Simon and Schuster where they asked me to draw like a friend of mine. And I told I was like, just hire him then. And then, <laughs> and then, and then for whatever reason that didn't work. And then they, so they sent me back, they're like okay, do, do your rough of what it would do. I turned it in and they're like, that won't fly. And this, this and that. So anyway, the, the, the art director goes, all right, we have a meeting with Barnes and Noble. We're, can we bring your stuff anyway? 
I'm like, fine, you can bring my stuff. So then they bring it in and they go like, okay, you're hired to do the job. I was like, I thought you didn't want this. And they go like, yeah, but Barnes and Noble liked it. I'm yeah, like, they, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they're going to be able to sell their book, that's all they care about. Yeah. It's always strange who's on my side. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, that's really cool though. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing really that your, your work is accepted on that level. It's, it's cool. It's fun. It's, it it's, gives I, me hope for the world. <laughs> well i don't know no it's, it's it's been good because it's always like you look at it as a learning experience and, and stuff like that you know and i've learned a lot i've learned quite a bit i don't think my personal work would be where it's at if it wasn't for a lot of those gigs oh, yeah yeah i feel the same way about makeup effects you know i put a lot of, a lot of time into that but it definitely you know it was like incredible training yeah you know art training you gotta you gotta kind of open your mind to things outside of mm-hmm. what you do because it's really easy to just be like in a hole and like look at look at, at the table and just draw what you do. It's really easy to get stagnant and repeat yourself without uh, yeah. even knowing it. You know, yeah, I mean, you sure. won't know it. You know, um, yeah, yeah. So it's good to get different opinions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's. I mean, I do like when I do occasionally do commercial stuff like it. Maybe once a year now, if that. But um, uh, it's always like a nice little break in a way. Yeah, you know, because it's your, you know, it's it's kind of in a way. I guess having um, t- totally to rely on myself to come up with ideas and and everything, doing my own work, it's refreshing to have someone after all these years of bitching about being art directed. Now I'm coming full circle around it and it's like, oh, it's kind of refreshing to have to start out with an idea and get input and work with someone else, you know, for, for me, yeah. because it's been so long. <clears throat> it's kind of like, oh, this is easy compared to yeah. just coming up with all I, original ideas all the time. You know, it's not that easy. Yeah. I mean, and and for all the uh, the evils of mainstream, I mean, that's the wrong word for all of the, <laughs> the, the I guess, the bad. I mean, even that's the wrong word. Everybody knows anyway, what you're talking about. <laughs> doing, doing mainstream doing mainstream work what what i always liked about it was that i was able to separate making money from making artwork right yeah, yeah you know what i mean i was able to um be able to make my personal work my own personal work like i always w- was very conscious of like i don't want my personal work to be inf- influenced by like money or right. making money it's purely an expression and that's allowed me to keep it separate you know yeah, what i mean yeah. how, how uh, often do you like how often are you doing commercial work every month yeah every month like I'm doing, I'm doing things. Um, I'd rather be doing what you're doing though. <laughs> yeah. It's a job a year. Um, so that's like the new goal. I mean, a lot of that has to do with, um, the illustration industry is basically gone at this point too. Right. Which, which is bad for me, but will ultimately be a good thing. Like artists work are going to have to be more self-sufficient mm-hmm. overall. It's going to be harder, but I think generally the benefit, it'll be a lot more interesting, you know, Yeah. depending on, what people do, you know, so I, I, you know, I, I, your work, um, I mean, just putting on my businessman hat, um, your work can absolutely be, and I hate to use these terms, but you know, marketed in a way to where you could be self sustaining and not have to take commercial work if you choose to do that in the future. I mean, there's to me, there's no question about it, the quality of your work is. It, there's a market for sure. And it's, and it's really like a, a marketing promotion type issue going in that direction. I think 
There's no yeah. question about it. It's not like you have to figure out what am I going to do. It's like you got your thing. It's totally just like this other element that would put yeah. you there. You know? No, I mean it's interesting because like my method of thinking is almost like I always wonder like how much of a warped method of thinking it is in that kind of aspect too. Because like you, I was big on big dead Kennedys, and then you hear yeah, yeah. Jellers shouting off about all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Then, don't don't give them your talents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 you know that's like a relatively new idea. Right. You know what I mean? Because people we consider artists like Kubrick and people like Alfred Hitchcock, mm-hmm. you know, they're like they're artists. Like like Kubrick was this weird guy. They if you really, they all made monies with inten- they all made movies with intention of making money. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're trying to do art, of course, but they always had the financial aspect. Art and money went together with right. guys. You know what I mean? Like Definitely. Kubrick, I heard an interview with Kubrick from the late late sixties when he was making two thousand one. Because 2001 to me is like one of the ultimate like art films, you oh, know. Yeah, definitely. He was talking about 2001, and he goes talks. He's talking about how he was making a commercial space film. I was like, "You are you out of your goddamn mind?" <laughs> I thought that was a commercial film, right. you know. Like, um, but I, I I think he honestly thought that because yeah. like if especially in his early movies like the, and the killing, like he was always talking about like I'm making this movie and I need to return on that, and you know Orson right. Welles was the same way and. Yeah. I'm like, so it's like, when did this split happen where it's like, you can't make art and you can't make money. Like it's this whole thing. That yeah, we kinda, maybe probably, maybe you know? like the sixties or something. It, yeah. I, but I, I really, I, I, I try hard to fight against that. Cause I, I, I think that, um, you can make great art that's real and you can make money from it. You can make your living from it. It's, it's definitely, you know, I see a lot of people doing it. And um, it's more a change of perception on how you view things. You know, I, I kind of, to me, it's like if you can make great art and make good money doing it, that's kind of the ultimate thing. You know, it's yeah. What would what's better than that? <laughs> exactly. And who made better movies than those guys? Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Especially now. You know what I mean? Right. Because where there's even. Because like we're like oh we listen to punk rock and that like so that's why we have that mentality. But like even right. in like mainstream media, you see that mentality too. Like you see like you know you have these big budget mainstream films, but they're like we're not making art. But you know if you asked Kubrick, he'd say otherwise back right. then. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's like that divide has kind of happened everywhere. I feel like you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. I, I I'm I like I, like I said, I'm always trying to encourage artists from not shying away from making money from their art and, and being entrepreneurial with their artwork because uh, I mean, that's just, <clears throat> that's the way things are going anyway with, yeah. you know, the whole gig economy and all this stuff. It's like, it's kind of the way it's heading. So you might as well embrace it. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of kind of getting over that, that um, idea that you can't make art and make money. It's just, it's, it, not it's, a ju- <laughs> it's a Jew. It's a Jew. No, I, you're you're 100 right. It's kind of a juvenile. It's kind of a juvenile. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. It's totally you know like an I mean? adolescent kind you know, of it's, punk rock. It's ad- yeah, it's adolescent <laughs> like fuck you thing kind of yeah. thing. You know what I mean? So I hey, I remember that. I remember seriously. One of the reasons I left the film business. One of many reasons was I remember Jello doing a spoken word thing and him saying that thing where he's like, you know what can people do to be, you know, it's the whole, the whole period where he was like saying, become the media. You yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> it was like his thing. It's like, you had no idea what this was all going to turn into, but um, at the time, but he says, 
he said, uh, uh, yeah, if like people were asking, or he was kind of telling people what they could do. And he was saying, you could do like pranks at your job and, you know, fuck things up. But the other thing he said is, is, uh, don't, don't give them your talents. Don't, don't give them your talents, these big corporations. And that, and I took it to heart really. And that's one of the reasons I left the business. And now looking back at it, it's like, that's, uh, that's, I don't necessarily agree with that, especially if it's, you know, not a completely evil company. And, uh, and if you're still, you know, even within the commer- the bounds of a commercial project, if you can put some art into it, that's great. That's, that's a way that art is getting out to more people, like your stuff on a Nike thing. It's like, it is putting something good out in the world. <clears throat> well, that's how I would describe the porno prod, the, the porno illustrations I was doing. That's right. exactly what it was. I was getting paid a month to experiment and I was putting myself into making these pieces. I was thinking of more of pieces than actually like illustrating the article. Right. So that's probably like the best example of that. That's probably why it was so much fun, that job too. Right. Yeah. You know, but you know, Jello is a big hero of mine still, yeah, but here. like, I also think Jello should not be taken literal <laughs> either. Oh yeah, I know, I know. Like, I, I think, <laughs> I think, when you're a kid, you're just like, yeah. But like, I I think Jello's part and everything. What's good about him is he's trying to get you to open up your mind, right? And that's the hard. He has to be outrageous and say these right, things. Right. It's supposed to make you think. The problem is a lot of people don't think about exactly. it. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like him, someone like Lydia Lunch and stuff like that. Like. You know, you need people like that to get you to think, to get you to like go like, see things in in their way, and then it opens your mind to a different way of things. Right, and they don't want you to follow lockstep behind yeah. them. They're looking to, yeah, you're you're totally right. You're totally yeah. right. But so many people, most people are just like, you know, I see I see Jello. He does a thing now on YouTube that what would Jello do? I don't know if you've ever seen that, but oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, no. <laughs> he just talks about politics and stuff, and um, you know, people. Still in the comments. Oh, you're a sellout and blah blah. You know, just oh yeah, you yeah. You, it's just like you don't get it. You don't get it. Well, YouTube is just yeah. a whole bizarre. <laughs> you know, I watch I watch all kinds of weirdo conspiracy documentary. I'm not even like I believe in conspiracies. I like the weirdness of the whole scene. Right. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? And it's crazy. Like I'll see these things like aliens on the moon or whatever. And you're like, this is absolutely ridiculous. But like in the comments, everybody's just like, fuck you, man. The government's holding information. I'm like, and I'm like, this is so obviously bullshit. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like <laughs> some people are just like way into oh, it. Oh yeah. You know? It's, so. it's scary. It's actually like kind of scary to see the stuff that, you know, the whole flat earth and all that. It's like, <sighs> you know what? I tried to learn about flat earth. Like, I was like, what are these guys arguing? Because right, yeah, yeah. I was like, I watch a lot of wacky stuff and I enjoy it all. Flat Earth, I couldn't get into because it's too wacky. Oh, it's, it's too crazy. It's, like, it's absurd. This one guy is making a whole video. He goes like, when you look at the horizon, what is it? It's flat. Right. It doesn't curve. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me, dude. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I turned that off. I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, if you look at the at the root of that stuff, what I found, because I looked into it too, because I'm like, okay, there's got to be some kind of sort of convincing argument that all these people are into it. And I was trying to find, not that I was trying to be convinced because it just seemed absurd, of course, but I was like, why? what is it that that's that's at the root of this because it's so ridiculous 
And what I found was that at the core of it, there's a lot of like religious people that are into it. And it's all about, we are not revolving around the sun. We're the center of the universe. We're flat. Everything's going around us. And it's, and it's totally like a, we are, I'm important. We are important. And, and, and on that level, I could see why people are falling for it because it's giving them the sense aside from knowing the thing that no one else knows that makes me special. Yeah. It's also the, we're, we matter in a, in a time when everything's so insane. It, people feel like they don't matter anymore. So it's like, it seems like there's that psychological underpinning is why people would believe something so stupid. Yeah. It's just, it's so wild because like everything from like the Bible code to like aliens on the moon or whatever, you're like, this is bullshit, but like you understand, like um, when I watch those, I understand why they think that they actually do right. have arguments that whether they're true or not, they, they make sense in some way. Yeah, in some the level. flat earth thing, like it just makes no sense. <laughs> like when they try to argue it, I'm just like, well, I, I like, don't get this at all. I like how they say that, you know, the, 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 all the governments are in on it. So, cause people say, well, how about if you travel from, Oh, I forget what the, there's some argument, some really great argument for why it's stupid based on, I can't think of it right now, but based on, Oh, how long it takes to travel to like Australia this way, instead of traveling to Australia the other way, which would take way longer. And they say, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's a conspiracy. Like the, the uh, airports, you know, have the clocks. It's like, it's just, you know, they're telling you that it that yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. That's just that's just that Alex Jones stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's it's you know uh, the best th- uh, thing about that I, I thought uh, I've heard about conspiracy theories as far as an exp- explanation why it's why it's so crazy right now is that um, it's all of our myths are pretty much gone. Like we used to be at this society that, that myths would kind of tell us our place in the world, all the, you know, classic myths like religion and this and that. Um, <clears throat> they're all kind of fallen by the wayside because of science. And so people don't, and, and everything's so chaotic and there's so many people and there's no, it doesn't seem to be any order to anything. Um, and we kind of need these myths just to ground us and to have some sort of sense of, what our place is in the world. So people will follow conspiracy theories, no matter how crazy they are, um, rather than not knowing what the hell's going on. Like it's more secure to believe that lizard people are in, in control of everything than it is to know the truth, which is no one's in control and it's total chaos basically, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, no, you're you're right because that was the role religion used to play. Right, yeah, and it kind you know of I mean? gave people a sense of purpose and and you know yeah. and their place, their lot in life, and a and a way to cope with how painful things were. You know, yeah, it's it's just it's just strange. Because my mode of thinking is like, it's not that people aren't necessarily. It's not like people conspire. It, like I'm sure people conspire to do things. People have evil thoughts or whatever. Right? right. My whole thing is like I'm like there's no conspiracy because you can't even get people to like agree with each other exactly. to make a stupid movie about like fucking aliens flying in space. Exactly. I'm like, how are, you, how are you supposed to get everybody to like get together to control the world? Or yeah. Know? Or try, so. try, try telling one person a secret 
and you know just tell yeah. one person a secret and see how that goes and you're talking yeah. about thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people working together and keeping a secret please it's yeah. just not logical it's not yeah. reasonable yeah i just go by the human nature thing man humans yeah. just do what they do and you just can't control them yeah, that's, that's a fact <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, all right. I'm going to wrap this up because I kept you on here almost two hours. I can't believe it. Oh, uh, no problem. I, I hope it was at least interesting. Oh, it's great. It's amazing. And I, I want to uh, thanks, thanks for coming on. And I definitely want to have you back on for a no means no show because one oh, okay. day <laughs> I'm going to do. It sounds like you're as big a no means no fan as me. And I want to do a no means no episode with someone who knows no means no. And there's not many people who know no means no. <laughs> <laughs> dude i would yeah bring me back for that i i would love that oh i would no absolutely no. love it the whole we could talk about the songs the albums oh, yeah. it's gonna be awesome i know i got i got to be on stage with uh or for like a second when they did the hansen brothers and sing a little bit of a no song way, so, really? yeah. <laughs> that's great. but yeah i hope you make that happen man. i will so. i'm it's 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 on the agenda now now i know that i got you so that's great right that, was, yeah, that was great um, that, that was excellent interview i, I appreciate it um yeah, thanks for having me. I know we went off on a few tangents, no, but like <laughs> that's what it's all about. That's what I love. These episodes are the best where we just start talking about stuff. Um, yeah. Don't don't hang up. I'm still um, we're still recording. Don't hang up though when I when I stop recording. I forgot to tell you that before we started recording, but I'm going to leave this in on the recording anyway. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, thank you everybody for listening. If you uh, want to support the the Patreon, it's um, Patreon.com/slash Dark Art Society, and we've been getting a lot more. Um, patrons on there so it's really great um, really appreciated and we're getting close to being able to build that website resources for everybody and all that good stuff and actually um, I guess I could tell you I, I put a temporary page up for darkartsociety.com so if you go check it out it basically just has a link for the page for uh, listening to the different platforms and stuff like that so everybody who's contributing thank you for helping to make that happen and we're going to keep growing this thing and um, I guess that's it yeah thanks again for coming on the show it was awesome uh, thank you for having me man it was awesome yeah and um, we will uh, talk to you next week so thanks for listening everybody alright goodbye goodbye